I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we... Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Why only did one? Aaron, you just do your your line again. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Ryan Boland. And we love to watch... We love to watch Guillermo del Toro try to make Doug Jones the most fuckable fish man that he can. It's not enough. Go straight to hell, boy. Go straight to hell, boy. He gets there. Okay. Fuckable, yes. It's enough. I like the idea that it's basically a 15-year plan to make people want to fuck Doug Jones as a fish man. <laughs> very clearly was like you know how sometimes when you sit down at a job interview they ask you where do you see yourself in five years <laughs> he's like in five years I'll be one third of the way to making Doug Jones a fuckable fish man <laughs> you're hired if you all you need to do is make a hundred million dollar movie about fighting kaiju and we will let you uh, live your dream yeah that's, that's how we get it. And we need to cancel the third one of these movies we're going to talk about today. So, yeah. What is this? <laughs> he got too sexy. It was too sexy. Like, you can cram the sexiness in a different movie. It's actually, we've talked about this before, but it is very funny. Like, the joke about Shape of Water is that Del Toro watched Creature from the Black Lagoon and was like, yeah, but what if they fucked? <laughs> like, the whole movie. <laughs> or he walked out and he's like, God, I don't know, that, that movie is so sexy. And everybody's like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. <laughs> Damn, that movie is just so sexy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so sexy, but they don't consummate. She keeps running away all scared. I want to fuck the fish man. Um, but then we found out, like, somewhere in, like, 2012 or 2013 or something that Del Toro was like as they try to reboot reboot all those universal monster movies del toro was turned in a draft for a creature of the black lagoon remake where like she fucked the fish man and universal's like uh that's not quite the direction yeah we want to go in and he's like i'm gonna make that fish man fuck that lady Come hell or high water. So it's an update from him. He's all beefy. He's fuckable. He's when they're like immediately. Uh, I need to answer anatomically. If you're wondering how his penis descends out of his body, can you imagine like if he would have been known the future and he like stormed out of Universal Pictures like as he's doing this pitch and the Universal executives are like, no. Like, we are not going to make this. He's like, not only am I going to make it, I'm going to make the whole thing about the fish man fucking the lady, and I'm going to win a Best Picture Oscar. They would have called the asylum. They would have had him committed. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it would have been just served as inspiration, further like, inspiration, because it would have been a weird Victorian asylum. Yeah. Like he would have had a weird cage head. They, they were like, yeah, that's where I got the idea. Maybe that did happen. Michael Shannon will be there. He won't wash his, his hands. He'll wash his hands before he goes to the bathroom, but not afterwards. <laughs> it's kind of going to be about how Donald Trump is president. What? <laughs> Get him out of my office. Um, and yeah, he and was actually com- swimming pool. He actually was committed and he was in the old asylum and that's where the inspiration for Crimson Peak came from. And then 
they, they eventually ship water cube. But yeah, where we left to watch when we podcast, we pick a theme, we do movies of the course of that month around that theme, and we're in a we're as in our third to fish fucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna be talking a lot about fish fucking and frog fucking and Cthulhu frog fucking, which is kind of what the compromise they make in this movie. But we're in our fourth week of our third ever double month, this time called Magnolia and Del Toro go to Hollywood, where we are covering the Blade and Hellboy franchises in kind of the the lens of uh, Del Toro and Magnolia. These kind of outsider artists in different avenues end up working on other things, other superhero franchises get created and then eventually their powers merge and then they kind of cross in the night eventually and go on the franchises live on without their their direct collaboration uh in mostly from what i understand unsuccessful ways but we're gonna get there because we're kind of at the apex of of the the show we we also wanted just an excuse to talk about the blade movies talk about the hellboy movies and so this this kind of gave us the avenue to do that so we we started with a look at um mignola and del toro's first experience with hollywood which in mignola's case that was doing some concept art stuff for the disney movie atlantis and for del toro that was the miramax 1997 a bug in subway movie uh mimic and then we did Blade, uh, which has neither of their involvement, but obviously was incredibly important for us to, A, talk about the Blade series, and B, uh, set set the kind of foreground for where they end up meeting on the episode that we did last week, uh, on this uh, working together on Blade 2. Uh, and as they were working together on Blade 2, they had already... Um, Del Toro had been interested in making a Hellboy movie for a while. Mignola, I think, was kind of interested in the idea. They weren't able to get a green lit. We'll talk more about that. Uh, but then they do Blade 2, and their next movie after that is uh, Hellboy from 2004, which we're going to talk about uh, today. For a, And then we're going to talk about Hellboy a lot for the next few weeks. But before we get there, uh, we have a real-life friend of the show. Um... And each of us individually. Peter Longer. I would say, Ryan, do you think we're friends outside of your relationship with Peter at this point? I would say so. I think like, that's a fair assessment. I, I think it's fair. Like, if you were in Minneapolis, I think we would figure out a way to hang out, even if Peter was. Yes. Yeah. yeah I do. I, I honestly do think that. If, if I happen to be in Minneapolis, I would definitely reach out to, to like, meet up with you separately. Bold move to ask that question at the beginning of the show, because what if he said no? No, not at all, uh, and I don't think our relationship will ever get there. So anyways, let's move <laughs> Well, I mean, I, it's good to know. Like, if I ever yeah. want to fire Peter from the podcast, I, I and Ryan said, there's no way we'll ever be friends outside of Peter, I know that I need to look for a different replacement host. That is true, is he, yeah. Is he, just to clarify... This is just an interview now. Yeah, are you interviewing Ryan with me in the room? <laughs> Ryan, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> Talking to fish, man. Hopefully, I mean, isn't that where we're all looking for out of the future? Uh, Eric Uh, doesn't want to hear you're fucking the fish, man. He wants to hear your your romancing. (laughs) Yeah, romancing. You're you're facilitating the fucking of fish, man. You need to be a team player here. Standard courtship for a fish man is 15 years. So uh, I wanted to hear before before consummation, as everyone knows. Uh, yeah, you're but you're not gonna, you're not gonna broaden the entire horizon for everybody to fuck fish. <laughs> you're not gonna. 
<laughs> oh, I see. You're like you want to go bigger picture. Like I don't yeah, just yeah. want one lady to fuck a fish man. I want every lady everywhere to wonder where's my fish man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Expect yeah. more out of your men, notably gills. <laughs> gills and potentially make them spoilers for Shape of Water. A princess <laughs> underwater? Yeah, I mean, is that what happens at the end not, of that movie? We covered it. It's in not the, show. the usual. I mean, she's either dead or a princess, which is all all women want. Yeah. What women want? I can answer it right now. <laughs> They could have called Shape of Water what women want, and it would have been a better movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I agree. It's definitely better than the other one. But Ryan, uh, I don't – do you know how many times you've guessed on the show? It's probably like six or seven at this point, right? Yeah, I think at this point it's probably six or seven. Yeah, because, I mean, there was a point in our relationship where the only time we we spoke was when we were recording the podcast. And now one of the only times we don't speak – is when Peter and I have to go record a podcast instead of playing video games with you. But it is it is very funny how my my habit of making people be friends uh, it's, it very much resembles my habit of making uh, my sister's Barbies and my brother's GI Joe's kiss. Uh, and I'm like, I don't really care if this is a good fit. You guys are gonna kiss, and I'm gonna yeah. watch. You know? <laughs> very uh, very heteronormative of you, and also as we know, uh, people who have soldier girlfriends don't always treat them all that well. But. Um... <laughs> We haven't talked much Hellboy yet. We've talked a little bit of Hellboy. We're going to talk a lot about Hellboy soon. So originally for this episode, before we got into the movie, we were going to talk about the two prequel animated movies just to be completest. And we've never seen them. It has the voice cast, uh, same same cast except doing their voices as uh, the two Del Toro Hellboy movies. They're technically prequels to this movie. Uh, and they're generally well regarded, so we thought it'd be fun to watch. And then also, and I've never, I've never seen them before, despite I, having seen the Hellboy movies, the live action films, dozens of times at this point. I've been watching them so many times in the past seventeen years. Yeah, I've never saw, uh, seen them either. And then we were, but they probably, from what I understand, they don't really need full dives. So we were going to combine this with this other project that kind of led to us doing this double month, which is Peter and I since November of 2020. So it's about, it's June of 2021. So essentially six months, uh, seven months. Um, we have been going through the entire kind of Magnolia verse, which starts with Hellboy, but in, in uh, really accompanies uh, gets much bigger than that. It's it's hundreds of books essentially. Uh, we're almost done with that entire run, and we're gonna kind of combine or maybe make two separate episodes about the the, the entire comic series that's going to be pretty spoiler heavy, and just get a chance for Peter and I to kind of talk about everything we've been reading for the last seven months, and then a little bit of a a look into whether the animated movies are worth your time. That was originally going to come before this episode, but it made sense to instead uh, talk about this movie because I think this movie, Peter, it led to you, it led you to the comic books and then it led, these two movies led me to the comic books, although on a much delayed timeline as of, uh, you know, 15 or 16 years later, right? Like you, you discovered, um, you discovered this movie and then eventually the comic books, correct? Yeah, yeah. I um, I had an apprehension to comics. I read a few, especially superhero comics, I should say. Uh, I read Sin City and a bunch of sort of the 90s edgy um, image style, um, dark horse style comics when I in junior high. 
but I avoided a lot of comic book stuff. Just like, I don't know. It would have been what, 2003 to five when I was in junior high. Um, and, uh, I avoided a lot of that stuff in junior high, even when back then, like comic book stuff was like not as prevalent as it is today by a massive, massive margin. I was still like very tired of it. Um, and now I've like grown to like appreciate like certain runs, certain lines, particularly the shorter ones. And I caught a, a few, it was, I, I, I was like, you know, I like Hellboy, the movie. It's really great. It's like an awesome, like comfort movie for me. I love Hellboy two even more, but why 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 ruin a good thing do i have to go back to the source material i like the batman movies and i don't go back to the source material for that very often um i've, I've since read uh other batman comics um and really enjoyed them i've since read superman comics blah 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 and hellboy was just like on the list and eventually i was like you know what this art looks amazing i should give this a shot and it ended up being not being what i thought it was at all i think even yeah. calling it a superhero comic story is is technically accurate but not all that um helpful as a descriptor yeah and i mean i am surprised that a comic called hellboy didn't appeal to your edgier side yeah <laughs> i mean i like if it was um, called heaven or purgatory boy i get <laughs> why you might be a little bit apprehensive but yeah i love Hellboy, and i was a boy i mean i'm yeah. still a baby boy um, and take those two things together. I mean, it should be gold. But um, at the time, I was just interested in uh, Hellboy being delivered to me by a by a film um, <laughs> by a uh, chubby, adorable um, man child of a filmmaker, not a um, chubby, less adorable um, uh, comic book artist. Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about how this got to, to be. Uh, um... A movie, and we'll talk a little bit about Seed of Destruction, uh, which we all reread uh, just before recording this, which uh, takes some of the plot threads pretty directly for this adaptation. Um, but we're going to save a lot of the where Hellboy ends up going uh, in our next episode. Uh, Heck yeah. So, Ryan, uh, so I'm, I've shared essentially that I started reading for the first time. Uh, Peter, to your point, uh, they this is not what I was expecting having seen these movies. It actually, one of the first things I texted you after reading a few of these was, I remember a movie that we're going to cover, I think it's the last movie we're covering, which is the 2019 uh, reboot of Hellboy. Where I remember when that was coming out that everyone was like, yeah, they're doing an R-rated Hellboy. Finally! (laughs) Finally! The comics will be well represented. And I read like, I, as I was reading the comics, I'm like, wait a sec. This is the comic series that everyone's like, fuck yeah, hard R, finally. Ending R-rated. Yeah, like the, they censored the swear words. Like this idea of Hellboy is this like hard, like a Deadpool-like figure was very confusing. Uh, also, at Dark Horse. Who specifically made their name off of pushing the envelope. And they're yeah. like, we're not Marvel. You can have your own creator-owned line and do whatever the fuck you want. And and Magnola and his team still uh, opted 
to not make it edge lordy and there's no, there's like there's no like no blood series yeah no sex they, this, it's all pg-13 cursing um the violence gets pretty crazy but not in the main but series no all in the bprd stuff yeah all there does later it, on it gets it gets I mean, graphic I know, it's gonna get cool but like yeah okay so it does get pretty graphic but like in but like in the bprd stuff and in more of the side stuff yes but in the main hellboy story never and blood is always in the sort of impressionistic geometric sort of splashes and triangles of red there it's never like <laughs> it's yeah. never a realistic pool of blood because that's not mignola's art style it's like a stained yeah, glass of, like almost like like yeah. when like when when you saw like you know they the the image of church on stained glass of like the spear being poked into jesus to make sure he was dead and had like a red like triangle you know coming yes. down to that's kind of what it looks like um especially in the in the hellboy stuff so that was very funny but then also i had this um you know i had this idea of what it was from seeing the movie which you know ron perlman is very much a uh, a comic book hero and you realize like there's a little bit of that in seed of destruction but very quickly he just becomes a lonely sad sack more than like the the ron perlman uh depiction so it's interesting what they took and what they added to um peter and i did talk about we're gonna try so you know just to like set the stage for this conversation peter and i have been reading it's basically been the primary thing i've been reading in between a couple other things that i've read in tandem for the last seven months so i am i saw this movie a bunch when it came out and came out on dvd i haven't seen it in a while but it's hard, it's very hard even as i was like taking notes to not just be doing the, the the comparison check like oh interesting like that's where this comes from or oh i see they went this route with it where in the comics they did this so we're going to try really hard i think to talk about the movie as its own kind of unique object uh, and not not just do a compare and contrast to kind of uh not just the the comic book um plot line that it, that it's that it's uh doing an interpretation of but also the characters themselves but again to level set it's gonna come up just because we've been living and breathing hellboy comics now for seven months yeah yeah it's been it's actually been a tremendous comfort uh to have a track that i can always return to because when you're um quarantined and uh, as we're recording this i think you know we're all vaccinated we're all starting to like do normal shit the fact that ryan's recording this in the room with me is like a pretty huge novelty i think like we, we haven't seen each other since christmas of 2019 at this point um and uh, it was such a comfort when you're just like I'm bored of everything to be like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to do the the big project I'm working on and return to the series. And frankly, it's it's an almost endless font. You can just keep going back. <laughs> and then like, but we're we're approaching uh, the end of the series ourselves. Aaron's a little ahead of me at this point, um, just at this point in time. Um, but when it's over, it's like. Well, I might read that Baltimore other universe that's unrelated to Hellboy just because, like, I like the way that Mignola writes and I yeah. like the people he trusts with his writing. It's 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 been comforting to have this sort of, like, um, 
Yeah, it is. It's a t- like horror comfort food. Yeah, as you as you point out, it's it's never that edge. It's never really edge lordy. It can get gory, um, but it's never. You never have to worry about like how does it deal with sexual politics. Um, yeah, no um, one has sex. No one has sex. Problem solved. Problem solved. There's even like there's even like the the most they have is like there's a moment where a character slaps another character on the wrist for misgendering a character like that's about as in thousands upon thousands of pages that's kind of as much as you get um and then like um the the comfort there is that like it's about it it is about people who are relatable characters despite being quote-unquote freaks trying to do their damnedest best and trying to get along with another with one another despite their differences and do something good especially in as you get to the bprd stuff in horribly hopeless situations and like i found a very it was a very fortuitous timing i think to go through all this in the middle of covid yeah we'll talk about it really nice we'll talk about it next week but there's this great one shot that i immediately called out to peter as i was a couple couple books ahead of him and i'm like oh my god this is like this hit me really hard because it's a like a uh, like a coffee store employee, like going to work in the apocalypse, essentially. And, you know, how does that not hit you a little bit um, more in the last couple of years than it would have, like, probably when it first came out? But we're going to get to all that stuff, not just this week, but next week. Uh, Ryan, so when we were planning out this double month, one of Peter, one of your first um, things was like, we need to have Ryan on for Hellboy. Um which ended up being really good timing because, like you said, you guys are hanging out together in person. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the literal interpretation of the podcast meme where I'm pretending I'm there with my friends while, <laughs> while talking to them in a microphone. Uh, but uh, and Ryan, you said you've read a couple of the Hellboy stuff, so I'm assuming um, that you guys watch this a lot in junior high. Yeah, together. we used to we used to watch Hellboy all the time, Blade movies. Um, I would say Hellboy 1 and 2. It was one of those where we frequently... Hellboy's just odd enough, like, as a main protagonist, where you'd recommend it to somebody who doesn't even necessarily like superhero movies. Be like, well, oh, and you're like, no, really, like, give it a shot. It definitely delivers more than you'd expect. Um, but no, I mean, we've probably watched, you know, Hellboy 1 and Golden Army over 10 times together <laughs> yeah. in years or whatever. So, so, no, it was funny. We watched it the other night, and I was like, oh, it's... It's been probably five, six years since I've seen this one. Um, so even honestly, some of the stuff was catching me off guard a little bit where I was like, oh, I kind of forgot about that. Oh, I kind of forgot about this. But no, it's great. It, it's kind of just like comfort food. It, it was once we started it, I was just like, oh, it felt it felt like being back at home. The la- I, I realized the last time I watched it was um, <clears throat> the last time I watched it was uh, when I, I first moved to San Diego. I had and uh, my wife, Molly, had to go back to the Midwest for something. Um, I don't remember what. And I was like... Break up with her other boyfriend, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. She had to clear things out. Um, It was just getting... She's like, how do I solve this situation? (laughs) I'm going to move one Uh boyfriend across the country and then make my decision. Yeah. She was setting up franchises, but eventually um, one of them was just not performing well. Um, She flipped a coin, actually. Um, So... Uh, 
What was I going to say? Oh, but uh, it was one of those things where I had no friends and I was kind of lonely. We just moved to a new town. I didn't even like know kind of where to go for like if I wanted to go get a beer. Like I didn't really know what to do. And I put this on because I was like, this will feel like a taste of home. And then the, and then um, before then, the last time I watched it was uh, I had I, I got uh, food poisoning. And I was like, you know, after you get through the awful, you know, morning going into afternoon, it usually clears itself out by like two or three. And then you're just like lifeless on the couch. And I was like, what do you want to watch that'll like make you feel some sense of comfort? And I was like, I want to watch both the Hellboy movies. <laughs> <laughs> that was those were the last two times I've watched these movies. So like it does like it does feel like an uh, a, an old friend that's there for you, and it it helps also because like okay let's I mean uh, like I think we need to talk about like who the character is because the character is just like a sweet kind of working class mug who's just trying to do his best. He was born into a world with a destiny placed on his head that he's constantly trying to ignore. And he's just trying to make friends. He's just trying to get around. He's he's he, he's he, his only goal is to help people. But like, he's not that smart. It's not that he's like some big strategist with like a global plan. He's just sort of like, I have my weird makeshift freak family with like a pyromaniac, an old occultist father, a, a freaky fish man, eventually a homunculus in the comics. <laughs> like I've got, I've got all these weird guys, these weird guys and girls around me and um, they all, they all take care of me. I take care of them. And we're this strange, this strange family. And like Hellboy is not, he's not John Constantine, even though he has a lot of the same markers. He's a noirish hero who smokes cigarettes. Well, I guess Hellboy smokes cigars more. Um, smokes, uh, smokes a lot, drinks a lot and you know, all that like, but he's not, he's not a, a, like a sex freak, like just constantly trying to hit on women. Um, He's not constantly, like, trying to fuck over uh, different demons for a vendetta or whatever. He's just kind of like, all right, buddy, like, can you just stop eating kids? And then the thing goes after him. He's like, I guess I have to break your neck now. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a sort of resigned, lonely, noir hero vibe to him, but also like, a, this is my job. It's been my job since, you know... Uh, my dad let me leave the compound and um, he, here I am. It's it's me and my, my freak family that I'll do anything to defend. Yeah, I kind of like that. I didn't really think about it until right now that it, it there is a certain feeling of similarity between like or, or I guess the, the more importance is the difference of we're like X-Men, stuff like that. It's like they're mutants, but they're people too. And instead it's like Hellboy, he looks like that, but like he's so whatever you want to call it westernized blue collar all that kind of stuff that instead you're like i mean he looks like that he does these things but like really he's just like your dad's buddy from the mill yeah like that's how he acts and but like but like truly and that's just whatever like there are certain things where he's like you know stop staring at me what are you looking at that kind of stuff sure but but like the message isn't some heavy, like the heavy-handed of like he he's human too it's just like nah he's just one of the guys like, he's one of the guys i don't know what you want from him and then you're like oh okay the big bright red like tail all of it no he's just like a dude he just wants to smoke cigars and and say some quippy things to you and tell you to you know bug off that's why i love ron casting ron perlman as him because ron perlman has this sort of like he's sort of like the uncle who makes dirty jokes but if you're in trouble he's there for you right like 
you know, he's he's drinking he's drinking beers at Thanksgiving with you, and he's like, you know, um, he's 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 making <laughs> he's making like self deprecating jokes. He'll make little snide side remarks, but largely he's just like. Yeah, I'm I'm here to, to be with the people that want to be with me, and I I feel like there's like a lovable quality to Hellboy that's like relatable, and like Abe Sapien is super relatable. Liz is relatable to all of our inner goth, um, in, in a way that like I I I think that's ultimately kind of answering something you said earlier, Aaron. I think that's ultimately what connected me with it was like, I love the noir vibes. The art is great. I love, I love uh, Mike McNola basically just picking up a big mythology book and being like, which monster am I going to kill this week? Um, I love all that. <laughs> but what I love most of all is that it's, it's, it's um, relatable characters and it's not, his goal is not always, I need to save the world. I need to save the world. I need to save the world. He's like, sometimes it's just like, I just gotta, I just gotta keep my people safe. That's relatable to me. Yeah. And I, uh, I think it makes sense before we get into the movie proper to talk about some of the differences here. So we're not doing it as we talk about the, the movie. What's what's really interesting about the the movie's depiction of Hellboy and truly surprised me about the, the comic, Peter, is that uh, the, the, the whole theme of this, uh, you know, Del Toro calls it kind of a reverse Beauty and the Beast, which is somewhat appropriate because uh, so one of the one of the two people was maybe a, a beauty or a beast in a different different movie. Ron Perlman, uh, sorry, not movie, I guess, TV show uh, played the beast in the somewhat successful uh, Linda, Hamilt- Linda Hamilton starring 80s Beauty and the Beast television show. Um, but that's how he saw it. And he saw it as this person who, you know, uh, that he was rejected from society in some ways and and felt a pain in that, that he was Peter, to your point, he's one of the guys, one of the boys uh, doing his blue collar job, which in this case is fighting monsters and that kind of camaraderie he needs to kind of get through the day is it's there, but it's there in like this siloed, isolated way. And that is and that's kind of what the, the character's motivation hinges on, right? Like and Perlman is so good at portraying that kind of like um, kind of sad uh, sad or melancholy like existence uh, by having all of, you know, by basically being locked away as a as a tool of this of this division while still finding camaraderie in his friends in the comics hellboy is like a international celebrity and he has a sense of loneliness by like a destiny and a lack of family but it, it is very interesting that like the whole crux of hellboy's characters in these movies is essentially non-existent in the comics yeah, they they uh, actually in the the opening credits they make a joke about him where there's you know footage of him being spotted like Bigfoot. And it's it's a it's a Sasquatch joke. It's a yeah. Bigfoot joke, and it's and then there's a big joke. There's a pretty good laugh line joke in it where uh, Jeffrey Tambor says somebody says like. Is big is Hellboy real? And Jeffrey Tambor's whole job is Tom Manning, which by the way, Tom Manning in the comics is like. He's a suit. Like yeah. he's there to help. He's there to help people out, but he does not have half the personality of, of Jeffrey Tambor, and that's something we're gonna have to talk about. Because like I love these comics, but it's very interesting how like <laughs> some of these characters are very thinly thinly drawn. Yeah. Um, to sort of 
borrow a pun, but like they're sort of thinly drawn and like you're supposed to inflect a lot onto them. And very much they're, they're a design. Tom Manning in the comic book is like basically phased out by the time BPRD comes around because he's just like the government liaison. He helps yeah, BPRD well, and, get and B- their money. And, and, in a lot of ways, the reason there is a BPRD is because Mignola decides he doesn't really like Hellboy working with the BRPD. He wants to really focus on his loneliness. And with him yeah. having friends, it doesn't work, which is, again, opposite of kind of like there's not a version of the movie – there's not an incarnation of like the movie version of Hellboy, I don't think, where he is like doesn't really connect with his friends and wants to be alone. It's the opposite. He wants to be a part of humanity. Yeah, and the yeah. movies it's definitely like <clears throat> here are my uh, friends slash family, my my chosen family, that type of vibe. But I also I was gonna say because you kind of touched on it was I do think they do a good job of like you can tell that Hellboy not wants to be human uh, feels some sort of want to be human but without the stereotypical you know punches a locker and dents it and says like if only yeah I was oh for me i was just a man or something like that you're like no i mean like i think if the choice was up to him he still would be hellboy but but like he definitely recognizes certain aspects of just being a human that he would almost prefer but like they do a good job of yeah. Uh, of, of acting that way through a character rather than having him just, like, be over the top and saying, well, or, or, or even worse, somehow figuring out a way to convert him to human. You know what I mean? Like, how movies love doing that type of thing. Oh, yeah. God, this too. shit where, where they're, they're like, love that. Uh, you called that out perfectly. Yeah. The fucking plot line that, like, every comic book movie and show needs to have is, like, we found a big tube, and if you step in the tube, yep. you're no longer going to be out. Jessica Jones. You're going to come out Ron Coleman, <laughs> but then in 25 minutes, you're going to realize, wait, but they stole my love interest, and now I have to be Hellboy. I mean, that's basically, that's like, the, the plot of two of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies and the entire arc of the Nolan Batman movies. What if and Batman gets to quit being Batman, and it's like, yeah, these movies are good, but... I like Batman. I don't yeah, want him yeah. to quit being Batman. I like the powers and stuff. Yeah. I, I like I like his 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 superhero identity. That's why I'm here. I'm not like I'm not signing up to watch a Bruce. Yeah. Wayne movie. I hope this guy gets to be Bruce Wayne at the end of this because this yeah. Batman guy sucks. Well, let's time to go to work. Great, <laughs> yeah. super. Let's do it. And there's a really good joke in in here. Just like speaking of like the notoriety and how self aware these this movie is, and I think it really speaks to the tone of the movie where. Jeffrey Tambor as Tom Manning goes, there's no, they're talking about the BPRD. He goes, there's no <laughs> such thing. And then it smash cuts to oh. BPRD headquarters, New Jersey. Great, great, great smash show. cut. Great smash and it, cut. And it, it really speaks to, you were talking about the loneliness of the character and how the sort of like rejection of his destiny and how like just every single one of these weird little gnome creatures and weird subterranean witches <laughs> and the Baba Yaga and all these demons are just like you're Hellboy be Hellboy and he's just like can I just be boy can I just be like a guy really not interested in destroying the world there's a lot of people here I like and yeah. that sort of can I just like, sit and drink yeah, he, that's that's another weird plot line throughout the comics is that like Hellboy is like <laughs> he's like he's like I'm gonna go away for a while. He like runs away and he like becomes a drunk and drinks with ghosts for a while and like that's like it's like some of the best stuff in the comics because it's just Hellboy having 
wandering the world because he doesn't feel attached to anything. And, like, the fact that, like, his loneliness in the comics is far more developed really speaks to, I think, the biggest change from the movies to the, to the, um, to the, sorry, from the comic to the movies, um, which is the inclusion of uh, Trevor uh, Broom uh, as a character. Um, because in the original comics, uh, Trevor Broom is not a character. He's Hellboy's dad. He shows a little bit of warmth to him. All of that stuff is kind of subtext. And then uh, Mike Mignola basically admits, he was like, I saw John Hurt playing the character in, in one of the interviews on the DVD. He's like, I saw John Hurt playing the character. And I was like, oh, this would be a good space for me to play around. And then yeah. Mignola decided to make an entire series that's a flashback for the BPRD in the 1940s. I'm going to give and a then whole 50. origin story to Jefferson. Yes. The, 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 I'm going to give a whole fucking origin story for Trevor Broom. And um, that's going to dr- gradually transition into Trevor Broom as a young father to Hellboy. And these like very warm moments of him being a good father to Hellboy. And also, <laughs> while we're here... Weirdly enough, a really good father figure to Liz. Um, Very much so. I I want to talk about that Liz is not a love interest in the comics to pretty much anyone as far as I've read throughout the um the main series she's not she's not uh Hellboy's uh you know lover she is uh, one of the team there's a whole running plot line in the comics about Hellboy helping adopt this weird family and Liz is a member of it and he meets Liz when she's eight like none of that is really a spoiler it's just sort of like you know it's just difference between the movies and, and the comic book but like if you're going to the comic books be like I want to see this great love story unfold you're gonna have yeah. to look elsewhere i think yeah he's got more like there's a moment where you wonder if kate cochran's gonna end up being a love, but even that is like nothing and he does have one love interest but i'm not gonna spoil it peter you know what it is but it's a yeah it, it would take a long time to explain how that comes about so uh, it's definitely not anyone in the movies um but yeah so i want to i want to i want to cut on one thing so yeah they uh mignola and del toro were like let's you know as they look at like, okay, well, this isn't a comic. What's what's the arc? What's the cinematic story that we want to tell with these characters that we've created? And Del Toro saw it as I want to do a story of two fathers, right? The the father, both adopted fathers, both fathers that tried, you know, that that essentially like had designs isn't the right word. It is, I guess, for one of the characters, but like you know that both had these things that they wanted to do with them. And and one is, you know, um, Trevor wants to, wants to understand Hellboy and eventually becomes like, what are you? Uh, That's my whole job. I'm investigating these things. I'm, I'm learning about the supernatural and the way our world exists. And, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he's like, this, this is what we've been looking for. And eventually becomes a father figure and kind of, you know, in some ways is more concerned about protecting him than utilizing him as either um, a investigate investigatory purpose or as a means to investigate more paranormal as his work with the the BPRD. Um, and Rasputin is the is the one who, uh, you know, brought technically brought him into the world to be used um for his his uh for his other purposes uh but yeah like going back and reading seed of destruction and you know trevor dies in like the the first issue of that and it is 
It's not a spoiler. Like, if you read the first chapter of City of Destruction, it is nothing. Right? Like, I was I said, having read all the <laughs> Yeah, having read all of the forties and the fifties stuff at this point, and having a lot more affection for the tre- uh, Trevor as depicted in the comic books, going back I totally forgot that it's like Homeboy just like gets a couple of condolences. He doesn't seem sad. He jumps out of a wit like he's just like, Oh he, shit. He, he, he's just back on the chase. Really, it's like it's like, you know, yeah. uh, he was there when Hellboy was born, brought in, whatever you want to consider yeah. it. And then it's like, oh, and, and so Hellboy's visiting He's like, long time. Yeah, it has been a long time. Oh, frog monster. Oh, oh. Oh, oh my God. He's got all these holes you. in him. Well. I got I, I got to go jump out this window now. See ya. And, yeah. And it's very, it's very clear also because um, Magnolia mentions in an interview, he's basically like, um, I did not consider, I did not consider Trevor Broom much more than just like. Um, somebody that could provide some nurturing to Hellboy in his past, but I liked Hellboy as, like you were saying, he's this lonely character. I didn't want it to be a revenge story. I wanted it to be a story of how Hellboy starts to wrangle with his nature versus nurture. And that's something we'll talk a lot about in the overall Hellboy arc stuff later. But what's funny is, like, the first book is co-written by John Byrne. Um, and then Mignola just totally takes over the story. John Byrne was helping just sort of like get the pieces into place, but then Mignola steps in, he writes almost the entire series. We'll talk about that more later, but like he, he brings in writers and illustrators very, very carefully. And he talks a lot about in the interviews that are part of the books, like who gets to be part of the family. But John Byrne's influence, I think is very clear because he's, He's he's explaining a lot, and he's making he has yeah. very noiry dialogue. It's sort of like John Constantine without the jokes. And while I like it, I really love the beginning of Hellboy. It's amazing, and it's like this weird. It is like a seed of destruction. Like it is. It is like there's all these tiny little seeds of what how the world is going to be taken apart and put back together again. His reaction is just like a. It's like a noir hero who lost his girlfriend. He's just yeah. like. She was a good dame. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It really is nothing. And it even surprised me going back to it just because of, you know, how much I've read. But, you know, we kind of talked about with Blade how how we were really shocked at how much um, basically Blade the movie basically rewrote the Blade character, right? Like that um, with the exception of like, uh, you know, Black Vampire Hunter – that was it and then blade takes that and goes okay well he's you know he's uh he's a daywalker and all this stuff and and then the comic books kind of adapt uh and we mentioned with hellboy there's a lot more obviously influence um that's that's taken um from the comics but the and, and the movie was less influential on the comic series but this is the one area where that 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 matches the blade thing the idea of trevor uh being a loving father figure being someone who um, is has a relationship with Hellboy that's worth exploring is because of kind of uh, Del Toro's vision for what he wanted to do in this movie. I want to get back to the last major difference and then let's talk a, like a couple minutes of how this movie came to be and some of the after effects, and then let's dive into the movie uh, head first or horns first. Um, and uh, the thing you already mentioned, Peter. So the the 
one of the biggest surprises in reading the comic, besides the other things I mentioned, is the fact that Liz and Hellboy do not have a relationship because that is such a pivotal part of these movies, right? Like the idea that Hellboy is this not not only has these friends that he wants, but has a romantic interest who has her own things going on. Um, with and and she, she you know, she's kind it's also of shocking. Not to interrupt, it's also yeah. shocking because of her powers. She's a pyromaniac, it, and Hellboy is a is a demon from hell, immune to and, flame. And yeah, it's 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 that he's immune to flame, and like that seems like such a obvious thing. And then it's like it's amazing to because I don't think Del Toro gets enough credit for like redirecting the series, the main comic book series just by hanging out with and working with Mignola. And, like, it's... it's uh, he, The character of Liz gets so much more developed after the books in 2004, 2005. Agreed. Uh, well, the, the whole the whole BPRD is a unit, right? Because yeah. uh, the, the one of the biggest surprises is how quickly Mignola drops all those people. And it's like, well, yeah. Not only, not only the fire, but it's also, like, they, they keep kind of... Uh, playing with the red versus blue like and granted is obviously like usually considered evil which is Hellboy I get that all that kind of stuff but even like Liz she's it's blue fire seems very specific to the point where you would you would have anticipated that she not only plays a bigger role in the comics but all of that would be canon all of that would be like yeah like when you were even kind of saying with Trevor where it's like if you watched the movie like it would make sense that Myers or whoever is is probably not like a hugely important person okay that's fine he's kind of just like the babysitter, the the audience, he's here to learn stuff while we learn stuff. But then you've got like, you've got like Broom, which I thought was funny in the comics where I would I expected him more because of how prominent he was in the movie. But then they also like, they give him a nickname. They, he's only around for two seconds. They're like, here's his last name. Will they call him Broom? Also, he's dead. Don't worry about it. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. oh. I thought he was going to be around a lot because they gave him a shorthand. And then with Liz too, you're like, I would assume that this was you know, it was Clark Kent's Lois. It was, it like, yeah. of course, she's always there. She's always in it, whatever. And you're just like, no, she was kind of just like some goth chick. She like dressed pretty nice, but like we, it gave us a blank slate to build out something more. And then that becomes, I mean, a, a cornerstone of Hellboy's actual character in general. Yeah. It's not, it's not even a, they took a one dimensional comic book character and said, well, now he can be, like you said, like the love interest of like, oh, she's dead. Oh, she's whatever. Like they didn't keep her hollow. They took her and made her uh, a seamless and also pivotal to what seemed like, you know, the actual central character to the entire story. In, in the comics, like, Peter alluded to this a little, um, it, it goes with Abe Sapien, too, where, like, Hellboy as the quote-unquote first freak that they discovered, right? The first, like, non-human that's working with them. He kind of has this role in the BPRD because he gains acceptance, not just by being able to go out on missions and basically be a team leader and stuff like that, but also by the general public, by, like, saving people, like, throughout the 50s and 60s and, and 70s, stuff like that, where he has enough clout to kind of advocate for the Liz's when she comes in as a child after killing her family and Abe Sapien as well, right? Like he's the one who like basically in the comics lets him out in the seventies after they're still studying and being like, no, no, no. Like that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> like it's that it's, it's, I don't get to be your like freak that you let have rule or let have off the leash. And then you have these other ones. Like you either are letting us like participate if we want to and be a part of this thing or you're not. And that's like Hellboy's role in the comics for that. So it makes sense, I think, just for me, the way that you have to unfold storylines to to change that. And that's why, like, you know, 
Dolzor kind of considers it a, a weird reverse Beauty and the Beast, where where Liz it belongs with with Hellboy. To your point, Peter, like they literally are a match. Pardon the pun, uh, made in heaven. In that, like you know, okay, well she's she's fire. He's fireproof. She's worried about killing people that she loved. That can't happen with him. Great. This this is this is perfect. But theoretically, sh- even though. Hellboy's the one who relates to the world more. Liz is the one who has the chance to live in the world because her uniqueness is not uh, is e- more easily disguised among other humans, right? And so, so uh, Hellboy is uh, Hellboy in a weird way wants what Liz has, and Liz just isn't. Uh, and Liz is basically trying to live Hellboy's dream, even though that's just not where she's her head's at necessarily. But her physicality is is where you know her head's not there. Her superficially looks are there, and so she keeps trying to have these chances to live essentially someone else's dream. Um, and so I, I like even though that's very different than the way the comics set it up. And again, there is the moment of like, oh, these two don't want to fuck. In the- Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. That that seemed like a very important part of Hellboy from everything I knew prior to reading these books. But we'll we'll see where it goes. Like it in the same way, I do think Hellboy being um, someone who has spent fifty years dealing with the fact that he's different, and so he's not like to your point, Peter, angry and punching walls. And why can't I just be human? He's he's accepted that, but he also is reminded every day of it as well. And so. Like, I think those things that are so central to these movies end up working because it's not your typical, like, Hollywoodification of a comic book property to take out the stuff that's interesting. It's Del Toro working with the creator to take a comic book property and tell a feature film-like story that hits at not just um, the comic as created – but the stuff that Del Toro's interested in, right? Like the feeling of being yeah. the feelings of being not accepted and and the idea of like fatherhood. Like it seems like they bring better out of each other. It's cuz like both of them have similar uh, proclivities but then also it's like it, it's looking at different angles, different perspective of but like wanting the same kind of shade of whatever it is. So I do think it's interesting that they like pull different things from each other. You have Hellboy, who, kind of like you mentioned earlier, Peter's... I mean, a reluctant hero, maybe, sort of. He seems to like it, but, like, he's not trying to be Superman. He, uh... I also like the idea that he's kind of just, like, tossed in front of these wishes and stuff, and they're like, ah, your destiny, the one who's been foretold. And he's like, yeah, okay, buddy. Like, yeah. he's, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm just, like, my nine-to-five. I'm, <laughs> I'm here to kill you so I can clock out and go home. Like, it's kind of a funny juxtaposition of just like, ah, the, the one who, who's been foretold, like, ah, okay, like, ah, the bringer of the, like, that kind of feeling from one character. And then he's just like, I got a big gun and a big hand and we're going to make this work. And you're just like, all right, great, super. So that's actually, that's actually something I want to touch on for Mignola because, like, I think certain, certain subsets of nerds get very mad um, when, um, the adaptation is not literalist. It doesn't try to fully adapt. And I would love to see a noir. Don't get me wrong. I would love for HBO Max or Hulu to make a noirish Hellboy universe over like the course of seven like seasons. He's a solo, a totally separate where he's he's being a sad Hellboy. A, yeah. Different from even the reboot would be cool. Yeah. But and like without Del Toro, like bring on I don't know the people who made that Penny Dreadful show. That was pretty good. I don't know somebody. People like um, Game of Thrones, right? 
Well, what those guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring in the Game of Thrones guys. They don't have jobs anymore. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, and um, can we confirm they don't have jobs anymore? Can we do anything? I, I, if they, they got fired do? from Star Wars and from their weird, uh, their weird, um, whatever Southern oh, yeah. show. What if the South uh, won the Civil War? Oh yeah, great. No, thank you. Why don't you thank guys you. not do that ever? So they, the idea was like, Mignola basically told uh, Del Toro, I want you to adapt this to, I want you to make this a, a, a Guillermo Del Toro movie. I did not collaborate with a big voice like you to drown your voice out. Yeah. Del Toro, I think it's funny that so much of this is about mythology and about myths as part of oral traditions and myths and things that get passed down from word of mouth and they get written down in one language and they get passed across a border and they get translated into a different language. And and I, I, I pairing that with the fact that like, I love reading the, the, Magnola has great notes at the end of his stories because he's super humble. He's he's very he's a very funny, wry, very dry sense of humor kind of writer. And he'll just be like, oh, yeah, I liked one piece of this like Polodnica myth of Russian folklore, but the rest of it didn't really appeal to me. So I stole that like that is that is Mignola, who Mignola is. He like he, he'll do the, the deep dive research and sometimes he'll be like, the whole story is great. I'm going to make I'm going to adapt all of the weird little parts of what makes an Irish changeling. And that's going to be a huge plot point that's going to make this one character, this one pig character become, um, you know, a, a central part of the, the Hellboy, the final Hellboy arc, like all that. Um Magnola understands that art is about interpreting myth and he was like he handed the reins to Del Toro but he was like also like well, I'm gonna you know here's some of the aesthetic stuff Inter reinterpret my stuff as myth keep passing these stories on these these strange stories these strange words this this sort of like mix and match between all these different mythological centers and and Del Toro said yes, and Del Toro also made some very, very savvy choices in adapting this to screen, which one of them was he decided that Hellboy and Abe Sapien needed to be much more different characters. We already talked about Liz a little bit, but in the comic books, Hellboy and Abe are not that different. And as I'm getting no. deeper into the BPRD stuff, they're actually like fair, they're, they're kind of mirror versions of each other. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, without spoilers, like, they both represent something that, that, like, so in the way that everyone keeps telling Hellboy, like, you're gonna bring about the apocalypse, like, Abe has that, his own thing that's like that throughout the books. Yeah, and bring on global warming. <laughs> Just to raise the, the ocean level yep. so the fishmen can live. Exactly. Um... And then, uh, what they kind of did here is he made Hellboy more of the working class mug and he made Abe this refined. It's <laughs> Aaron, do you know who does the voice of uh, Abe in the movie? Yeah, of course. It, what do you, he wanted Doug Jones to do it. And the, yes. the, the producers were like, no, we want a name that we can advertise like that people uh, will know. For, for and so, man. so, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, Niles did the dub. And, um, and, but he like, when he didn't attend the screening and he refused to like t promote it, right. he was kind of like, this is Doug Jones performance. And he, you know, uh, Del Toro had, I guess, enough clout or enough freedom to let Doug Jones do the voice in the second one. It is worth noting 
it's, it's uh, also I, adorable. It made me like him so much more as an actor. It made me like everybody involved in that so yeah. much more, except for the producers. Pierce. Yeah, I don't think David, David Hyde Pierce is going to get canceled. That's my bet. No, he, he he also, I remember it's one of those where, like, like you said, clearly it was because the name. I mean, like, it, it's because they want to be able to say with or, you know. Yeah, David Hyde Pierce. Stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but, like, I do remember even at the time for something that, like, I, I wasn't seeing the movie because David Hyde Pierce was in it. And I do remember even at the time, it seemed like he was adamant, like, oh, I mean, I'm just the voice. The, the performance, the everything, like, yeah. the, the, oh, the, don't, do not give me that credit. Like, it seemed like he was as... Up, it seemed up, like he was a little embarrassed by it because a little, he... A bit. Yeah. Yeah. He also probably saw Doug Jones in makeup for whatever we talked about four hours in the morning and yeah. four hours at night every fucking day to go into costume. And sometimes for, like, one shot where he's, like... Well, we need to have an actual character looking at the pool of water yeah, <laughs> before gonna... a CGI character. And, like, Doug Jones had to go and do all this shit and, and, and dig around the water. Regardless, they made – we'll come back to this. But they made a – they made Hellboy and Abe um, different. They made Abe more of a refined researcher. And this carries into the second movie. They who can Who a, can read minds? Who can and then they make him yes exactly they make him a psychic um, and they make him kind of a nerd and what's amazing is that like you read the comic books and Abe is like just as lovable and relatable and yeah as as Hellboy and and he like, can breathe like he's he's amphibious oh, yeah. he's not he's not like a fish man <laughs> but like also he, I was thinking about this I'm pretty sure the fact that like Abe in the in the movie mostly has to wear that neck thing. I yeah. think that was like Del Toro being like an anatomy freak. And then oh, yeah. in the comics, I'm pretty sure the reason that uh, Magnola didn't want to is because Magnola is like a clean lines yeah. freak. And yeah. he was like, uh, I don't want this. I don't, I'm going to be drawing this character a hundred thousand times. I really don't want to fucking have to draw a rounded edge necklace water thing for <laughs> yeah. his gills and, and, to and be seeped in. Exactly, and... and it would cover up the gills, which is like it makes a nice a nice clean line. Those lines, yeah, yeah, like the nice clean lines of broad, a broad bulky shoulders, and then you know the clean lines of gills in there. I think that's like aesthetic. Like yeah. almost, and then and Del Toro also he just likes the idea of having like there's a researcher on the staff, and just a quick asterisk there that helps replace Kate, that helps replace the weird yeah. uh, the weird crazed doctor, that helps replace a lot of the BPRD staff just by having like having a um, yeah because you're, you're right and be on the microphone and be like uh yeah it says here in this book that uh oh these are tooth eating uh, fairies or whatever <laughs> uh, well also like yeah because the comics it's basically like hellboy punches good in fire and a punches good in water <laughs> like, yeah that's i mean uh that's that's so it, it makes sense although it's like it's so dumb that we have to deal with like like i would have liked a kate explaining stuff as opposed to what's his fucking stupid name myers who myers yeah the agent yeah. guy i think that's his name at least I had John yeah, Myers, sorry, Myers. like just completely unneeded. But we'll we'll get into that when we get in the movie. So the 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 other thing I wanted to mention about the the David I. Pierce thing though is that like Peter, I'm telling on myself. I get it, but I was like I love David I. Pierce, especially in 2004. Like I loved Frasier. 
Uh, it's still a show that I own everything on DVD. And, like, my main reason for liking Frasier was Niles. Like, Niles is the best character of the show. It's an amazing performance. I'm not surprised he won all those Emmys. Like, the whole arc of the show, uh, minus all the like, the creepiness of, like, the present-day prism of someone pining and ruining his own marriage, who he, I think he has a kid with, over, like, uh, someone for seven years. But I get that's, like, the, the will-they-won't-they television shark like but the and also these people are deeply damaged but they're psychiatrists like it's kind of the joke of the show is that these people are messed up and can't live with themselves but they're helping people and give advice to people you know yeah but like the, the relationship with daphne was the spine of that show and then of course i liked um what hot american summer and i liked uh embarrassingly so uh a movie oh, called my Man- cock uh, yeah, oh Matings of the Earth. I was fr- very excited that David Hyde Pierce was was in this movie, and I was very disappointed when he wasn't the voice in the second one. Um, and, of course, I have changed that opinion after a lot of learning more about um, Doug Jones and a lot of other things. But I, I was one of those people who's like, oh, they couldn't get David Hyde Pierce for the sequel? It's kind of a bummer, not realizing, of course the history so we talked a little bit about how their their philosophy of making it peter did you know that this movie uh the sequel somehow was actually more successful than this movie that this movie had a 68 million dollar budget and grossed worldwide not even 100 million dollars i did know this and because i remember when they were making the sequel being incredibly shocked that not only was it so much weirder there's much bigger uh, special effects sequences. It's not, it was not the 90s and 80s model sequels where it's like, this made a little bit of money. We're going to give you half the budget. Let's hope you make double that. Um, and we watched the, the, there's a making of documentary on the Blu-ray called Seed of Destruction that is literally two and a half hours. It's longer than the movie. We watched pretty big chunks of it but not the whole thing um the special the 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 practical effects that went into this thing yeah are fucking insane there's some bad cgi shots in here but like it looks it still looks it still looks really good there's overall has aged very well but yeah there were there's still some shots where you're like oh okay there's the oh right there's two shots in this movie where i think the budget shows a little bit but most of it is just like gorgeous special effects and you're watching these guys just tinker with servos and and knobs and gears yeah. and shit and you're like how did this cost 65 million dollars well but hold on 65 has like 65 million in 2004 is like a pretty goddamn good budget that's when like 100 million dollar budgets were pretty insane like we talked this about Blade. Action, this movie is, is kind of nothing but action sequences for yeah. two hours, right? Like, but, well, Blade though, remember, had an eighteen. Like, it's five years later, it had an eighteen million dollar budget. So you, you're actually like, I actually think like, even though it's extremely impressive and it shows how good Del Toro is about that stuff, that like any movie with this much special effects sequences looks almost like as good as it did in two thousand four. But I, I don't think it, – it's actually kind of surprising how good of a budget he got for this. Honestly, yeah. It's, it's a lot. And I, I do remember even back in the day when it was like the uh, – you'd catch it on FX has the movies. Yeah, and, they have the movies. And they would have like the um, – oh, right before we go to commercial, we're going to have a little blurb for Black and the Hounds of Resurrection or whatever. I do remember them being like, oh, no, all of the the hair tentacles, whatever you want to call them. It's like all of all, none of the, I mean, for the, the vast majority, it is not CGI, that kind of stuff. And I remember even at the time being like, 
oh my god, like that was a flooring fact of yeah. Being, everything is just moving so smoothly and so so liquid, so like feels real that it, it's shocking. And even when we were watching the behind the the scenes type thing uh, on the DVD, it felt that again. We're like then then I'm staring specifically at that, and it's still really good. Like it still looks incredible. Like it, <laughs> before the shot has been colorized, yeah. Before it's been upres to yeah. you know oh, yeah, like, under harsh lighting, they're just like walking around behind the scenes. Like oh look at it's it's going it's crazy. You're like that looks phenomenal. It's insane. So you have you have a situation where the movie doesn't even make like thirty million dollars. You know makes. A little more than his budget, and is mainly they get a sequel greenlit because of Pan's Labyrinth, combined with the fact that the 2008 superhero landscape for movies is different than the uh, the 2004 one. When uh, you know two, 2004 uh, was like almost the end of the superhero, right? Like like Spider Man Two came out, but then you start like I think Catwoman came out this year. Do you know one of the – I do want to talk for a second because it's completely fucking nuts about why this movie may not have been as successful as it could have been even in 2004? Um, Let's see. I'm, so, I'm assuming something came out that was not good. Oh, dear. So this came out in April of – two- because of Fantastic Four and those kind of movies uh-huh. kind of uh, flaring yeah. out. I mean sure that, that probably had an impact on why there was not a the- sequel because, right, like in 2006 when they're looking to make this, it, it just seems less – Interesting, and obviously doesn't make that much budget, but it comes out in April of 2004. What's another movie? So we'll say Easter time that it um, that comes out in Passion of, of the Christ. Passion of the Christ, right? So, I so this is true. About this because there was a there was Heaven some, Boy. <laughs> there was a Heaven Boy versus Hell Boy. I forgot about this because there was some poll thing that was saying the movie that came out when you were thirteen, the number one movie the month you were born when you came out whenever you were thirteen. Oh yeah, is going to define your summer. And I was like, oh no, kids got <laughs> the grace. Kids, kids did not show up to school that day because their parents said, "Yep, it, it, it's worth." taking a sick day so that we can go see Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ in theaters today. Like, Jesus. I do remember that distinctly there were, there were multiple Christ. people missing because they were like, well, we have to go see the story on the big screen. And it was like, of course, opening week. You can't. Yeah, this it all happened. I remember, I remember that. Happened. This all happened, guys. And they had to show yeah. each one. Like, this is not for, because Mel Gibson's a fucking extremely uh, broken individual who likes jerking off to blood. But this is he's just telling history but uh so you end up having this phenomenon in this movie and you have a conservative like that is being led by all these like bush era evangelical conservatives which uh are even worse from like the don't say a swear word (laughs) than, than the conservatives of today which which fused with reddit evangelicals or whatever and so you had a lot of theaters that changed the name of it on their marquees to this is 100 percent true hello boy as opposed I, to I, Hellboy, and I then going, even though was it was why joke about i was gonna make a joke about calling this movie a heck boy because i don't swear uh hello boy that's just they, like so then when you go to see it it's i mean i mean they're not like they they re- well they took down the posters yeah, and it says hello boy you with a yeah. uh whatever a 957 magnum a gunny wunny <laughs> and then while it's while it's in its second weekend and still widely playing like you know it's still making money it has a good opening weekend a bunch of theaters pull it 
because they're just like, we don't want people to come to the theater and see this and be like, this is why we don't go to movies. Because it was this idea at the time uh, of Passion of the Christ that was actually getting this insane um, – you know, kind of like a jackpot for Hollywood, right? Like, we get the people that don't go to movies to go to movies, and that's like an untapped audience that this is bringing in. And one of the reasons why they don't go to movies is because Hollywood is making movies like Hellboy. So tons of theaters pulled Hellboy um, in a very, like, in a way that does not happen out of its release. Like, um, so, so it was... Potential the the weird timing of this, you know, in a historical thing that I I I didn't really realize, and I definitely I think for the most part, if you did know, you probably forgot. Like that Hellboy and Passion of the Christ basically came out the same fucking week, and a bunch of theaters went like, "Oh, we got to hide this one or get rid I, of this one to make sure we make all the money on this other one." I always think it's funny that like people think you know whatever cancel culture these days that kind of stuff. But, like, uh, throughout all time, you look back, and, and, like, that is such a goofy thing to get very riled up about. Because it's not even like it's Hellboy. Hellboy, if it was if it was Hellboy by, you know, the creators of South Park, and the entire thing was, like, Hellboy's the coolest. He, te- he tells you to, like, don't listen to your mom, do drugs, do all this, whatever. Like that, Listen that, to my and, dad, and, Satan. Yeah. And, and instead, it's like, Hellboy, you know, he's still trying to save people and do what's right. You're like, oh, how could you? How dare you? You're like, no, that's not even, like, the message isn't even, like doing the, doing wrong stuff's cool whatever you're like no it's it's hellboy it's his destiny but he's working against it because he's essentially human it's where it counts and yeah it's theoretically a, it's, it's extremely christian pitch. right like yeah, you were born a demon a, and can choose you have free will that god gave you yeah. right yeah but it's such a soft pitch for somebody who's trying to make the anti-semitic uh torture porn movie <laughs> blow up um <laughs> Is like, well, there's a movie about Jesus and there's a movie about the Antichrist because that's a thing we didn't talk about about Hellboy is that like everyone's like, I don't even know if the, they don't use the term Antichrist, no. I don't think anywhere in the main Hellboy arc, but like that's what people are talking about. They're like, well, yeah, you're supposed to help your father ascend to the surface. You're going to use the right hand of doom. It's going to be a whole thing. Um, And like, (laughs) it's such an easy pitch for conservatives who now have to bend over backwards to get mad at like fucking, I don't know, a mayonnaise brand for donating one quarter of a penny (laughs) to gay rights. You know, they have to, oh, oh, well, I guess mayonnaise is a new liberal brand. You know, mayonnaise is... I just wish if it came out nowadays, they would, they would have had uh, Jim Caviezel versus Ron Perlman. You know? Oh my god, I want to see Jim Caviezel get this shit beat But that's what it was like, now, I don't love that they're just like, it's just a boxing match, just like, heaven versus hell in the cell, like, just like, oh, let's go, let's do it, and you're like, okay, just two old actors are gonna fight each other now, the one's Hellboy, one's Jesus, don't, I mean, they're not dressed as it, but they portray him, no big deal. Yeah. And you know, and you know for a fact that, like, uh, at that time... Um, Bill Bill O'Reilly, I hate to remind you guys of his existence. Bill O'Reilly would have like hit uh, the Perlman part really hard, just to like try and Perlman. Like, you know, this guy is his last name. It's a little Jewish, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, but Jim Caviezel. Yeah. Um. You. Uh. Well, I mean, I think what conservatives probably learned in this day and age is that the signs were there all along that they should have been against mayonnaise all the way back when Hellboy gets released because I mean it's called Hellman it's called Hellman yeah he can become a Hellman yeah yeah 
and, and then donate. So they start a <laughs> mayonnaise company. <laughs> to donate one quarter of a percentage to gay rights. It is funny that like conservatives have all the same targets, but they've lost the like moral high ground on it. Like they used to do that fake like, oh, we hate gay people because the Bible says it and we're moral upstanding people who don't like swear words and we go to church and we dress properly. And then they had like Trump and a bunch of fascist Nazis as their president. They're just like, yeah, we don't like gay people. Fuck yeah. them. That's the best part is, is, the, is it, we like gay people and fuck you and fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a weird, this is a weird tone yeah. and angle for Christianity. Becoming yeah, like the, faca- the facade of anything but like just outright bigotry has really dropped from yeah. the, well, God said, we're just, we're God followers. And if you want to have a genuine argument about that, yeah, I do like that it ought to make it, well, well, God told me fuck you. And you're like, that does not sound like the God that I was raised on. Okay, that's a, okay, all right. Uh, yeah. But... Let's talk about how our Hellboy becomes a Hellman uh, by tackling. Starts a mayonnaise company instead of uh, raising the devil from the earth. Choices in life. Do you guys want to talk about 2004's Hellboy? He's the boy from Hell, baby. Oh shit! Since, what since, up? Since he's since he's just a boy, Aaron. We we had a, a just a quick note while watching this, but I looked up right before we got on. How old? Do you think Ron Perlman was when this movie was made? 50s, I think, right? He was. He was in his 50s. He was 54. He's 71 now. I just like the idea that he's Hellboy. And, like, we're watching the scenes and we're like, oh, look, he looks so young. He looks like a spry chicken. Like, we're like, oh, my, oh, 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 he looks like a spring chicken. Oh, that's, he's, he's so young. Whatever. And you're like, he's 54. He's, he is a very old, I mean, not very, but he's a, he's a. People keep talking about making a Hellboy 3 and I'm like, Ron Perlman is 74? He's 71. 71? I don't care if he has Clint Eastwood jeans. That's pretty fucking old to be putting on that rubber makeup yeah, for three hours in yeah. the morning and then another four hours at night. I think you have him do the makeup, but then to make sure that he doesn't get too tired, you have David Hyde Pierce voice him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I like it's a fair compromise. <laughs> I'm Hellboy. <laughs> oh my gosh. This call, it's for you. I'm going to hit you with this phone booth. There's no like. There's no. There's no good Niles impression. That's not just like. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. Uh. Peter, you are alternate taglines. From Hellboy to Hellman, you're certainly going to love this mayonnaise. <laughs> Wait, it's the alternate tagline for this movie, Peter. <laughs> oh, I thought we were pitching Hellman's mayonnaise. Uh, yeah, we can. I would love, I would absolutely love. Is this a sponsor? We don't get Casper mattresses. We yeah. don't get HelloFresh. <laughs> we don't get any of these fucking companies. Halliburton, the standard podcast ones. Um... But we do get just a single mayonnaise brand that's been around since like 1923. Yeah. Heinz Ketchup. <laughs> that was great. Thank Super. you. Everybody's got it. Um, Almonds. Did I think, you I know think... that everyone ends up buying the organic ketchup eventually and then they just go back to Heinz? Heinz Ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the future. Heinz 57, baby. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. Well, <laughs> do we want to keep riffing on condiments or? Oh man, the plot? Sure. where you oh, at? Absolutely, mustard. Um, I barely know. I it. relish the thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Wait, so <laughs> do, you know, do you know I have an L through a tagline right here? Uh, we can buy more time. You know, it's one of those things that I, I just hope Aaron will forget about. It's fine. It's not like this is a live show. It never does. It's live. Right? I he's never like a, do it. Like now I never lover. will because you've done the thing where you've reminded me of like, I want this gone. I'm like, yeah, he's, no. a, he's like a cruel lover. He knows exactly what to bring up to hurt me. And it's the fact that we have a bit that we've been doing for years and I just want it gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, maybe so. I mean, with this, we got to do like Myers. I hope we can disappear forgotten taglines to Antarctica. I think we should do an exorcism month and then make it also about exercising this bit. <laughs> it's my pitch. Like, no, sometimes we get good bits out of it. Um, uh, so we so what the fuck happened we're working the show god damn it Peter (laughs) just watch the movie tag four times and and then say we're done with the tag line (gasps) yeah where you would just do what's your tagline alternate tagline and it's just a different piece of dialogue you would have inserted into the the film tag yeah exactly (laughs) man you're crazy Jeremy Piven I don't think Pitt, I, I think Renner is in that one. Jeremy Renner, man. The Jeremy's, yeah. I don't know. Hannibal Barres. Yeah. Did Piven have an uh, app? Both are equally toxic people. Yeah, I do. But, but only one had an app. God. Famously um, called the Jeremy Renner app. But anyways, in Hellboy, uh, here's how it starts. So uh, they're a bunch of Nazis. Bunch of fucking Nazis. Those long ago villains in the 40s. Yeah. I'm just glad to, to, to take some comfort in fiction at this time. Whatever happened to those guys? Uh, but they are... Whatever uh, happened to... <laughs> who's Hellboy going to fight so that we know that he's a good guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. That is... Well, uh, obviously, Del Toro has a, has a lot to say about fascism, which, I'm, which is what I'm assuming kind of attracted him to Hellboy comics as Nazis or Nazi-like hangers-on being a lot of the primary antagonists. Um but I can I right I think you might be onto something where we know is like okay I'm having a literal demon. Who could I have him beat the shit out of for to let everyone know pretty clearly that Hellboy's the good guy? Oh, Nazis. Yep. Worse yep. than demons. Um, I do like. I sorry. I know it's a recap. I do also like that they separate where it's. It's like they they even the villains are just using the Nazis as like a vehicle. To get what they want. Yeah, even even like Rasputin, who wants these Lovecraftian chaos gods, the Ogdru Jihad, to open up the skies and rend our hearts open, <clears throat> bring the earth into a fiery apocalypse. He's like, you know who really sucks, but like they're really good at project management? Nazis. <laughs> Just like it's more about like it's like teaming up with an executive producer you're not a fan of. Like mm-hmm. they are putting money into the project, but oh man, they got a lot of notes. Like, oh yeah, do I need to make do I need to make the apocalypse so that the Fuhrer approves? Sure, sure, sure. Just give I'm me the money. Jewish people, I'm killing a lot of people with my plays. If I purge the earth of all man, I'm technically also killing a lot of Jewish I'm people. I'm not targeting them, I'm targeting everybody. But yeah, no, they'll be gone. We'll all be gone. Uh, I do like how everyone keeps in there. This is more in the comic that everyone keeps reminding Rasputin of like what that he needs to do things for Hitler. And he's like, yeah, sure. 
Like, sure. Hitler will definitely be affected by what I'm doing. So he will <laughs> um, And I love, in the comic books also, just like while we're talking about this, Rasputin is trying to perform a miracle. And in the comics, where he's performing this quote-unquote miracle, um, awakens Hellboy, uh, brings Hellboy to Earth as a little baby monkey boy, Um very far away from where the the miracle happens and so all the staff that's with him and himmler is like well we put a lot of fucking money into this big (laughs) big thing what do you got to show for it and he's like uh sorry (laughs) no in the comics he's like he's like i made my miracle it's definitely there yeah it'll it'll come around don't worry Hitler might not be alive to see it. Just like Rasputin in history, massive con man. Yeah. Yeah, so Rasputin, famous dead guy who took a while to die. Huge cock. Teamed up with the Nazis. No, that was Lyndon B. Johnson, I think. Also, big fat cock. (laughs) Big public pooper. Big, big fat cock. I always confuse Rasputin and Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Same hairstyle. They got got twin cocks. (laughs) In that they were bald. So, yeah. So, Rasputin is doing a ceremony. He's teamed up with some Nazis. Uh, and uh, the, the the United States Army comes to – it knows that they're doing secret Nazi shit. And they bring Trevor Broom um, because he he's like, look, they're doing occult shit. Hitler likes occult shit. They, they saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, essentially. Um, and – they uh, come out to the ceremony where they bring Hellboy uh, into into being, and Trevor, they the the American army uh, fights back the Nazis for the time being. Rasputin gets killed, and they take Hellboy, and that's kind of the prologue. And then you see, like, to Peter's to Peter's note, the kind of like gr- uh, great credit sequence, but it kind of shows like Hellboy growing up in the in the in the news media, which is basically him as like this uh, Jersey Devil. Uh, cryptozoology feature that people keep having to go on TV and say deny exists even though you know a lot of times when they send them out uh, to fight giant monsters in the middle of cities people notice him and know that he exists Uh, so you you get kind of a tour by um, the new person that they've hired to look after Hellboy mainly because you find out that Trevor played by John Hurt, is dying. And so Hellboy needs a little bit of a babysitter because he is not allowed to leave except when he's on a mission. He likes to leave when he's not on a mission. Uh, And he also needs someone to kind of be his friend and uh, wait on him and give him food and stuff like that. And that person is John Myers. John Myers is not in the comics at all, right? No. He's he's, he's, he's totally manufactured. It It was an attempt to... This attempt to make producers more comfortable with the fact that this is like a group of freaks. But however, I relate to like a working class demon um, who likes to drink beer um, and likes cats way more than I, uh, <laughs> I can any in any way put myself into the body of um, was it Rupert Evans? <laughs> yeah, this British guy doing a passably American accent and um, uh, going on cutesy dates with uh, Samuel Blair. No, that's yeah, no, yeah, that's uh, yeah. John Myers is bad, and I'm glad they one of the biggest. Like, I actually think John Myers is like the worst part about this movie. Um, and they, they, I think even Del Toro thinks so because <laughs> I will we'll get there. But Hellboy two, uh, Hellboy makes a joke about reassigning them to the Antarctica, to Antarctica base. 
I will say that I do think, because uh, I, I, I agree, he's not great, but I do think that it seems like a purposeful, uh, he's there to introduce all of us to the characters, he's the audience, all that kind of stuff. He's the fish out of water, but I do think that it's pretty intentional that a human character feels like the odd man out of a cast of oddball characters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't... Like, that's the point of it, is like, we are the everyday man. Oh, we're just getting plopped down. Oh, okay, but like, we feel weird. Everybody else is like, Hellboy's punching through walls and doing nonsense, whatever. Everybody's like, oh, mm, he's having another... Yeah, other, but I mean, I, yeah. I take your point, but the movie just doesn't do enough with that. No, no, I yeah. agree. I agree. He's definitely, even when you said it, I was like, he's he's the weakest point, not distracting in my, like, when I watch it, because I think it's just nostalgia and warmth towards the movie, but it's definitely... I mean, like, I'm, I quickly flipped through the characters when you said that, and it's like, he's far and away the weakest character. And I'm not, like, I also think, like, like I, I, I like the Liz and Hellboy love story here. I don't, like, his addition to that into a triangle makes yeah. everything worse. So, like, it's it's hard to, it's hard to say that he is, like, I think he's the person that's holding this back. If they could have spent more time to devote to other things, you might have a five-star movie as opposed to, like, a four or four-and-a-half-star movie. And, again, they, they right-size that for the sequel. But And not only that, because I, I know that this is, like, diving deep in, but I just feel like he's not that important of a character. But, like, it's so funny that he, as a character, is very clearly angling to some sort of date, some sort of, like, like like feelings towards her, that kind of stuff, with how he's acting, but also what he says, that kind of stuff. And then there's, like, a throwaway line between him and her where he's like, oh, oh, he thinks there's something between us? Well, no wonder he's mad. Or whatever. Dude, the entire time you've been pining after, like, like he acts like it's surprising. Like, oh, what? Us? We're colleagues. I'm just a friend. You're like, he, the entire time he seems smitten. And I, I have a very unpopular opinion, which is that, like, I really like the sequence where Hellboy is stalking them on their date. I do like that one. Like um, that because it makes Hellboy into a, a big a big sad baby uh, who's, like, just trying to figure out. He's been locked in a box for so much of his life. He's trying to figure out just, like... That's a perfect example of, like, human, though. I mean, like, where it's, like, it's silly. What he's doing is silly because he's not even intervening or anything like that. He's just, like, picking his own mental scab of, like, watching, and you're like, you know, like, that's a very human thing, but a superhero would be like, I'm gonna go get the girl, I'm gonna go be bravado and be the good girl, whatever, and so he's just like, man, what's this doofus up to? Oh, I'm gonna throw a rock at him. Like, yeah, I, I, I actually really like that sequence. I think it's cute, and it's well-performed. It's not worth the cost of Myers, but it, 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 it he's just kind of a, he's more, emotionally, I'm fine with Myers, intellectually, I'm, I'm offended by him, and ultimately, when I watch this movie, I'm watching it as comfort food, so I end up being able to swallow that pill pretty easy. Just to put a button on that part of it, because we probably will not come back based on the time already recording. Uh, I I guess I kind of disagree. Like I I think like Perlman's funny in that scene, uh, but I think like the sequence of him like stalking Liz. Like I'm not trying to be like over woke or anything here, but um, like it just it feels like you could have gotten the same effect by him following her to. Um, to like get an apartment or something like quote unquote yeah. normal and like him feeling like this is too big like the step that she's taking is 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 permanently removing him from the equation if she's really embracing like uh, a life away from the BRPD and him being like um, 
weirdly possessive in a like a jealous boyfriend way like i i don't like it they literally have a child there to be like to offer him sage advice and he goes ah you don't know what you're talking about you're just a kid like the movie is introduces a child character just to make fun of hellboy for being petty it's just a pettiness that i think uh overall like ends up not serving his character well um, I where, I think, where I think I just think it's funny because it's Ron Perlman like Ron Perlman is like a yeah. gifted comedic actor and this movie is funnier than um, you know the comics are and I think like this is a sequence that would never have happened in the comics I don't think it needs to be in the movie I'm not saying that it's like my favorite shit in the movie but it's something where I'm like you know I kind of think yeah, I think it's endearing and you get to see Ron Perlman do some silly comedy stuff that's not just like quipping quipping before he hits a a, a, a monster with a I think that all works less problematically if it's, like, just something more mundane that he's frustrated about and then talking to a nine-year-old. There's definitely a much easier way to work that in, I think, without having to be, like you said, it's not necessarily controlling or whatever, but there's a weird... uh, Love triangle that just, yeah. But yeah, and and a forced love triangle. Does he, uh, in the comics, because I'm not too far away... I'm assuming. Does he, you know, whip rocks and stuff at, at people pretty often? <laughs> like, like, to, like, like, constantly. Injure villains, the enemy, anything like that? He's, he's, he's more. Even in the bit we read, he, he threw, but it was like to attack one of the frogs. Like, to. He's, he's definitely like his level of strength is like. I'm a big fucking berserker. Like, I'm going to throw rocks at you. I'm going to throw... Also, that's another note about the Hellboy character is that he's not a good shot. Yeah. Um, was it yeah. Liberty Torch or something? Gave him a, a big pistol. And he's. And there's a joke in the movie where he says, like, listen, buddy, I'm not a very good shot, but this thing shoots really big bullets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, that's, like, perfect where it's, like, you don't need, yeah. you don't need to have uh, three scenes of him trying to shoot a target and being a bad shot. Like, you don't need that. Spot. Like, they just says it. And then a split second later, they're running and shooting, and it's miss, miss, and you just see chunks of pillar and whatever, whatever. And then he shoots him, and he goes, yeah, okay, oh, sorry, I don't even need to know the rest of the notes, like, whatever. And he's like, you know, the Hounds of Resurrection. And I was like, what did you say about that? Yeah, 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 get to the building. I do like see, that. See, I don't I like that. Shot, but I got big bullets. Here's like, great, super, like, perfect, let's run yeah. with it. I think, that's, I think that's good. Like, I think, I think like, yeah, we, we all agree Myers does not need to be in this movie. I think Hellboy and Abe, in, especially in the comics, are, 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 you know, relatable enough every man, but like, I can see that Myers feels like a producer note. I think the actor does as good a job as a thankless role like this can be. And then when they came back and did a sequel, they were like, well, didn't even notice he was gone, honestly. Like, yeah, they, they, there's a that you are now a throwaway line. Also, nobody was attached to you from the first movie. The real the, the real uh, king shit move would be um, Myers is a, a incoming BPRD agent. Um, and then that character gets murdered in the second act. Yeah, that seems meaner than Del Toro. It's like it's not it's it's not John it's not that character's fault that a producer made him put him ever whenever else. Right. Oh, but I mean like that is but that would be sign him worth. But yeah, but that would be but that would be um I think it would serve the function that producers want, which it eases people into the series, and it would be to BPRD, which is BPRD will introduce you to a character, and that character is like you learn something weird about them. She has a small son, and also she is really into tattooing. Like, you just, (laughs) you learn, like, two character traits about this person, and then just enough that when they get uh, their fucking head bit off by a hammerhead, um, 
It's uh-huh. sad. So that's very much like hair plugs McGee in this movie. Yeah, it's like you got hair plugs. My hair plugs. Oh, they don't look too bad. Okay, whatever. And it's just enough where you're like, ha ha ha. He's got rapport, and then he dies. Yeah, you're, you're like, oh, okay. Cool. You're hundred percent, hundred percent. What I'm talking about. The movie does this already. Just combine the two characters. Make it yeah. uh, a new BPRD agent. He's assigned to help Hellboy, whatever. But like. It is a Hellboy's movie, whereas this movie spends a little bit too much, a little bit too much muscle to make it Myers' movie, and then by the, but but the thing is, like they kind of do kill Myers by the second act. He gets sidelined by the yeah. third act, and he's just kind of there to like watch as Hellboy and Liz connect, and he's just kind of there to watch as Hellboy deals with the threats. I also do like that they, like you said, sidelined a little bit, but even in the in the third act, wherein they get separated or whatever, I do like that Hellboy still, uh, you know jealous or whatever but I do like that he makes the one comment where he's like don't worry kid you know she'll she, she'll take care of you that kind of thing and you're like that that because he because uh, Myers only really knows her as a oh yeah when they get separated by the spikes or whatever that come yes. up and yes and and, yeah. and and yeah like yeah he's he's he not a her as like a wounded bird Myers thinks he's like I'm gonna sweet her or her into yeah. coming back and doing all this stuff and like Hellboy knows her enough for be like yeah, don't worry. She she can not only fend for herself, but she is going to be the one protecting you, not the other way around. Like they're they're. I do like even that line where you're like, uh yeah. They really they really wait. Like it's kind of like uh, uh, Chekhov's pyrokinesis, right? Like she doesn't use any of her powers until she fucking yes. uses her powers. And so, like, yeah, Myers definitely has the idea of her as like a wounded bird when she's you know theoretically the most powerful out of all of them, which yeah. the comics makes uh, more explicit as, as it goes on sometimes. Um, yeah. Where where are we in the recap, Aaron? Sorry yeah, the you. beginning. Um, this feels like now we're just going to do the thing that a lot of movie podcasts do, where we just talk about the things we get through a plot, and that's fine because i'm worried about the time short um so so yeah so so, uh also you see a ceremony of the surviving nazis what's the i I have i forgot to write down his name no the who's the who's the like robot cronin cronin yeah because in Uh, the comics he's just like a he's just like a nerd he's actually way more um he's more of a classical just a nazi guy who happens to have an a you know a a long lifespan because of some weird nazi science and this he's not like he pours a bowl of cereal and then pours the milk but the milk's gone bad and you're like ah we've all been there nazi (laughs) (laughs) yeah told if you want to relate if you want people to relate to a nazi who's gone too far with experiments on his own body i definitely think expired milk is one of the best ways yeah yeah, yeah. i've read the comics <laughs> yeah um but yeah he's, so... he's, he's a del he's a del toro creation in this through and through del toro liked the mask on the guy and then he was like no he's an automaton he's a he's a turn of the century automaton with a sand body and he can turn himself he can turn his little crank to get really amped up to do murders and he can turn his crank down to do um Sleep? He can. He can just sleep. He doesn't have blood. He's got sand. Don't don't ask too many questions about it. It makes sense. I swear. But it it gives Del Toro an excuse to do as the thing we've been talking about throughout this time. Del Toro gets to do an autopsy scene. He can't yeah. fucking help himself. He just can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you have uh, Isla Hauptstein, who I don't. Is she in the comics? I don't think she is. She is. Uh, uh, Ilsa Hopstein Ilsa Ilsa Hopstein (laughs) she's uh, she is in love with uh, 
the she serves Rasputin, but she's oh. actually in love with that Hessian guy. Remember? That's right. Um, maybe not Hessian, but like you know, like a she, she's in Conqueror Worm, right? Is that what I'm thinking? Yes, of? and she's more she's more into the um, she's more into the um, vampire guy than Rasputin, but she occasionally serves Rasputin, and then yeah. Rasputin um, uh, it connects her with the the uh, Hecate plot. Yep. So yeah, just a little. Um... Very different, obviously. It's a nod to comics. It's, yeah, it's, she it's could have been an entirely different character with a German name, and it didn't wouldn't matter. Yeah. So they uh, they resurrect Rasputin, uh, who has something going on with his eyes, but we don't know what that is yet. Uh, and Rasputin now dresses like uh, like fucking Gary uh, Oldman when Dracula's trying to be chill. Um, yeah, he's kind of like a sexy steampunk guy now. Yeah, sexy steampunk like, guy. It's like a relaxed Gary Oldman. Uh, Dracula watched The Matrix and was like, uh, "Morpheus is pretty cool. I, I feel like I can blend my style with him. <laughs> Maybe get some squared off sunglasses." When I was sucked into the portal, I saw one Hollywood film. And it was the Wachowski sisters. The Matrix. Matrix Reloaded had no idea so... what was going on. <laughs> I was like, the idea is like, did somebody buy sick. him that that nice long decorative scarf and and uh, duster? Like, does he go and buy that when he gets resurrected? Does somebody say like, here are your clothes options? What are the deals? With that, you know? What do we think of what do we think of Rasputin's performance here? Uh, yeah, Carol Car- Carol Roden is back from. Um, Carol Roden is back from Blade Two. He's the lawyer um, that was in Blade Two. Um, yeah. Which, Mind you, in a weird kind of switch, um, in Blade 2, uh, Carol Roden was dubbed over. Um, he was the blonde lawyer in Blade 2. He was dubbed over. I wish it was David Hyde Pierce. That'd be fucking (laughs) too perfect. Uh, he was dubbed over. And this he actually, I think, is using his his original accent. I think, I think Carol Roden is, like, good in this as, like... I really like him. Yeah, I like I like Rasputin in this. He's he's a pretty classic villain, but like they actually cast a European guy to do a creepy European accent as opposed to just like a British guy, which I don't know. Aaron, what are you thinking? Doesn't carry the weight of the comic. I think that's the problem. Like, I don't remember having a problem with it when I saw it originally, or, or you know, fifteen years ago. After reading the comics, the Rasputin there is such a bear of a man. <laughs> Right, like, and just this very imposing figure that it feels feels like a direction that just is less satisfying overall. But I, you know, I don't again. I don't. I don't want to be the person that's like, oh, this was fine until I read the source material. But I, it was hard. You know, it's hard not to go like, oh, this isn't as like seamless as I remember. I can't defend it the way I can defend the villain from Hellboy Two. Yeah, well, Hellboy Two villain is is generally good. But it is also similar, like, Euro-trash, very, yeah. like, very like um, uh, theatrical kind of performance. Uh, I can't defend it in that same set kind of sense. Um, some of it is just affinity for the movie. I think Carol Rudden does a good job. Yeah. I don't th- – yeah, that's – I. it is in no way something where it's, like, sinks the movie or even something I give it demerits for. It's just not quite as satisfying as, like, I think the, the overall comic version would be. But, again, if you've just seen this movie – uh, you may not be all that impacted by that he's sentiment. Heavy, so yeah, he's such a heavy influence in the comics. It's hard to hard to touch it. Yeah, and he uh, so he comes to America and is kind of like, "Hellboy, oh I'm your dad. We're gonna be best friends." But he also <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it's he's very quick to be like sentence. there's not there's not like a sub there's not like there's not like a big ramp up he's like hey oh boy i'm your real dad basically um but and he has bigger like, that's something that like it's clear that del toro is very interested in the idea yeah. of hellboy having these two fathers that there's this supportive loving father who's like you can be whoever you want to be in uh, yeah trevor broom played by john hurt who's one of my favorite fucking actors in so the world. good in this movie so good in this it's also like nice that john hurt had a bunch of movies where he's playing an old man who dies so like it was easier for me emotionally to let go with, of him um and uh, this is one of those movies, and uh, but and then uh, Rasputin is like, let's fuck shit up. Like he, he's like a, he's like yeah, this is like, what you were born he's a for. Shitty like, stepdad. Yeah, theoretically, I'm I theoretically I'm trying to support you to serve your true purpose, whether that's what you want to do or not, which is technically, I mean, accurate. Yeah, actually, so it's it's more like he had a shitty birth father, and then he had yeah. an awesome stepdad, and then yeah. his birth father comes back in the picture, and he's like, I was a pitcher for the Dodgers. You should be a pitcher for the Dodgers. <laughs> it was, You're it six a, foot uh, nine and can throw a hundred mile an hour fastball. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Working at this Denny's. And he's like, I want to work at this Denny's. Scott said I could work at the Denny's. <laughs> I get free Grand Slams. That's basically like baseball. Isn't that good enough for you? Hitler asked for a Grand Slam. <laughs> I uh, almost spit don't. out my drink all over my computer. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to pause all reactions and try to not find that as funny as I just did. <laughs> I, I told Hitler it would all work out. <laughs> I told Hitler I would bring him a grand slam, as you can see. <laughs> he meant to, he thought it was metaphorical as to the big victory, but I got him a literal egg sausage and pancakes for a relatively cheap price. I also love all the like dork Wikipedia and IMDb trivia facts being like this is also based on the short Hellboy story pancakes because it establishes it, he brings in giant plates pancakes. of pancakes. Yeah, like, uh, yeah I mean up. like having read that comic though like the the, the IMDb trivia stuff is kind of eye rolling but it was kind of like to have the kind of like as one of the meals that he brings in is two giant plates full of pancakes which is a cute callback to uh it's cute to the company yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, cute and not much more. The, the giant bowl of chili looked less appetizing just just yeah. in, in form. I love, oh, that, I love that one of the agents brings in two bowls of chili and then Myers, before he goes on a date, presumably to plow Liz, yeah. um, is like, well, here's your third bowl of chili. And Hellboy's like, thanks. I had my Bud Light and my anger. <laughs> yeah, Bud Light had a big promotional sponsor for Hellboy. <laughs> Also, he probably has an Andre the Giant level tolerance yes. where he can drink cases of it, judging by the second movie. Judging by yeah. his pancake intake, I'm assuming he can he can put it down. Drink beers. He's like, I can eat a lot of pancakes, but I'm kind of like a two three beer guy. <laughs> so, uh, so Rasputin. I'm on more than two. Yeah. Uh, so Rasputin also, in, besides saying I'm your real dad, um, also takes his Nazi buddies to go to a museum. And unleash this artifact, uh, which essentially creates this. It's kind of a nod to the the comic in that it's like somewhat frog like, uh, but it has it's got a little more uh, uh, Del Toro in it. Where 
It's like Lovecraft. It has Cth- more Lovecraftian frogs. More Lovecraftian. It's got it's got it's got like uh, Cthulhu dreadlocks, and it has a, a, a kind of a, a thing that I find very interesting and always very scary in these movies, where essentially when you kill one, it becomes two, which obviously becomes a uh, rather large problem if you're trying to eradicate eradicate. So they have this great like as a mathematician, that's a uh, exponential problem. That's what you'd call it. Yeah. Um, which you famously are. Yeah. Not. Wait, but didn't you just kill it? <laughs> uh, well, kill so it here's right. two. Hold on. I'm lost. Yeah, you explain it to your <laughs> non-mathematician <laughs> friend. I think it would be helpful. So as a math magician, um, <laughs> numbers are magic. Uh, three is the and magic number from what I understand and the rest as far as I know are not. No, the only magic number is 69 and 420. Three, God. that's not yeah, the, the only song. singular number, magic <laughs> number is. <laughs> let's talk about the, 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 fake, the fake frogs, the Hounds of Resurrection, because we're not going to come back to it. They have these amazing practical effect suits, and they actually had actors run around basically on all fours, but with stilts. And they had uh, these... They, they look like CGI. They're not CGI. Dreadlock tentacles um, that kind of drape around their neck and their shoulders. And they're incredible looking. But yes, they've, they've got sort of a frog look, but also like they're clearly like a, 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 a uh, original creation for for the movie. Um, and it was it, it was very interesting for them because like. This movie could have been a slaughter of, of yeah. those frogs. It could have been. You they could have done the pl- the thing that I hate about like Planet of the Apes, the 2001 remake, and 2002, which we saw so much of. Is like, what if a million of these things are run- are running fast towards other things, and they all look like shit? Or the I Am Legend thing. Oh man, you made these things really creepy and foreboding, and then all of a sudden there's just like crowds of them, and and you're like just popping them off. Or I even thought like like obviously there's like the multiple uh, the multiplication um, aspect of them, but like one on one, it's still keeping up with Hellboy. And, yeah, and I think that with the frogs, the comic books obviously um, the frogs are still worth battling, and they've got different you know they've got the numbing tongue, they've got like they've got some certain different things, but. I do think it's a good job. Like they could have, they could have just made him a bland villain. Like Rasputin was the villain. The Cronin was like, like those would be the big bad guys. These guys are just henchmen. Hounds of Resurrection are much cooler. I mean, the actual yeah. battles, of course, but then the fact that they actually flushed them out because they could have just been like they're frog dudes. Oh, oh, you know, Hellboy's killing them. Abe's killing some. Even even throw you know, Broom might kill one. Like that would be pretty standard affair for action movies especially of that time where you're like oh why not like just okay cool and by the time you get to plague of frogs the bprd staff is just wiping out frogs like yeah on mass but the the numbers will never make sense so it's kind of an interesting way to adapt that storyline is that like the frogs keep reproducing faster than you can kill them Um, and in this they literalize that like for every one you kill there's two um, I did like the detail from the behind the scenes or whatever where it was uh, I did not pick up on it while watching it granted I wasn't like staring but I didn't realize that it was uh, they've got two eyes on one side and then one eye on the other and like obviously that's a very clear 
distinction of the one and two. They have such a big head, it's hard to tell. Well, because like sometimes you're like, oh, I, I always just, I think I took note in my head of the two eyes on one side that I just assumed both sides. Like that kind of thing. And when they pointed out, I was like, oh, that, that's just like an interesting little bit that, I mean, they don't draw a point to it. They, the characters in the movie don't point it out. Because that asymmetry makes them more monstrous and yeah. terrifying. Hellboy has a uh, tremendous fight with one of these uh, frogs of hell on uh, the subways of New York. Uh, these these uh, fro- hounds of res- resurrection, um, Samael, the desolate one. Um, he has th- a fight that essentially feels like a Hellboy fight. Hellboy gets the shit beaten out of him. He gets knocked around. Hellboy is quipping while he's beating them. Um, Hellboy has a little little uh, little remarks about like um, uh, he picks up a payphone and he hits him with it and he's like, "Oh, it's for you." Like that. Those kind of jokes are all straight out of the comics, and that fight feels like. That, that felt like Del Toro was like, oh, here's what I love about this comic. Let me give you basically a straight version of this. Except for my interests are more like, uh, my, my current interests are more like in a, uh, a subway kind of setting than like a gothic castle. Or a uh, red means stop because Hellboy's red and he's in front of the car and he punches it. Like, there you go. That's yeah. classic. L- little jokes. Yeah, like little quippy ones. I do like it. And it's, and it's still different from... Uh... There's a, there's a weird that I never noticed really. There, of all classic superheroes, a lot of ways Hellboy mirrors Spider-Man that most. And granted, it's like part of it is because of how I see this movie. And I'm sure it was because Spider-Man was huge. Um, I think one of my favorite little throwaway bits of uh, the subway fight is just after the train goes over him and he's got his horns are hitting him hitting him hitting him one I love the idea that Hellboy knows he's okay so like he keeps bringing his head back up it's not like a oh I should just stay low until the train he keeps bopping it but then I like that they they have the uh the friction heat marks they've got the the actual steam coming off his horns and all that kind of stuff I actually really enjoy that yeah what you're saying yeah so there's yeah so so Hellboy has this wonderful fight with um the 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 uh, hounds of resurrection. He likes fights in subways, and he he yeah he gets his actual like uh, horn um, stubs burned up, which is just like a cool detail um, that feels like it's that's like Del Toro and Magnolia getting together. Um, so where were we at, Aaron? Yeah, so the the fight is is great. And essentially, they said you know Hellboy and Abe go out and they do that. Abe is like. Uh, researching it, they bring back the dead body of of Cronin. They assume it's the dead body of Cronin to do the autopsy scene that Peter mentions. But of course, even though he's like sand and no eyes and like more uh, 1940s machine than man, uh, he, uh, he is, is still alive. And this is all part of the plan because Hell- Hellboy – actually, no, sorry. I missed one very important scene. Uh, Hellboy also goes and meets with Liz, which we kind of talked about a little. She's at a halfway house, uh, and and you know she's like, "Hey, Red, this is my chance to just be normal." Liz, um, if uh, killed her parents at the age of eight, not really being able to control her uh, pyrotechnic powers. And she's worked with the BPRD. She has this somewhat uh, friendship slash romantic relationship with Hellboy. But ultimately, you know, she she's really affected by that. She dramatically killed her her family in uh, through through powers that she couldn't control. And so she, uh, they kind of set up the fact that Liz 
is quit sometimes and Hellboy brings her back. And of course, Hellboy sees again, not like a, a literal, like perfect match for him. Um, and uh, in someone who he can be around and she can be around him and like, you know, they can just be together in their in their overall existence. So there's a really sweet scene there where he sneaks out to go see her. Then I think they have the the fight, right? That we just in described. Fight? Yeah. Yeah, because then when they come back, they bring back the autopsy. Hellboy goes out again, and that's when he has the scene that we already kind of discussed where he is yes. like – he's kind of creeping on her while John Myers is clearly somewhat interested because, you know, she's played by Selma Blair and is an attractive which I, lady. Which I – again, I think that like a, a, a classic, especially at the time, a standard beat would have been uh, – like, and I mean that mean I'm happy they didn't. But like then there would have been a um, there would have been a scene where Hellboy is beating himself up about if I had just let Liz live her life, yeah, uh, then I would have been here to protect. I would have been able to protect Broom. I should have been here. Like like that that is one hundred percent missing, and I'm okay with it. But I I like the, there are certain beats that superhero movies, particularly of the time, but a lot of movies for protagonists where they you know they're they're going off on selfish reasons instead of this that or other. Then, then they have to have a brooding, but also shouting about, "Oh, I should have been here to protect him." That kind of stuff, and they dodge that, which I like. Yeah, um, and it's funny too because we we alluded to this. I'm sure part of that is just because even though there's a closer bond in the movie, it's coming from or it's pulling from a relationship that has almost no bond besides just a guy that he knows that brought him mm. into the. Be- you know, it. I do think if this same adaption was made for the first time with the with all the stuff with Trevor and the relationship building that exists is like something that you can pull from. I, I wonder if they would have felt like they needed to include that scene more. And if anything, I'm sure they're like, well, actually we're going way farther than the comics ever did while him really just feeling a little bit uh, sad and despondent and just the recognition that he, you know, the, the, the great look on his face when he kind of comes home and like, there's just that clear, like, Oh shit, I fucked up. And the fact that, I mean, we've talked about his performance a lot, but the fact that he is able to emote through all that makeup and just there's a recognition of this, I really fucked up here. Like, I left. I maybe, he doesn't say that maybe I could have saved him, but it's clear on his face. But through this, he, Rasputin leaves a clue of where they're going, which is to um, Mother Russia. That's when they figure out it is Rasputin, too. Um, as opposed to a guy who's super into Rasputin, <laughs> but like, oh no, that's that's the guy. So they end up going. But also, back. Broom is dead. Like the assassination yep. of Broom is good because Broom disconnects the present from the past. Also, I love that scene. That scene's honestly that that uh, arguably might be my favorite scene. It's just the the. Um, Croner, whatever his name. Sorry, I yeah, can't phrase it. Yeah, but 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 like when he's descending the stairs. Uh, oh yeah, and, and Broom is just like not only accepts his fate, but also is like, oh okay, so I see the uh, puppet, but where's the puppeteer? Like, but like in not a cool way, but just like like he fully recognizes there's no there's no tricks up his sleeve for a very smart guy who is well versed in this paranormal world or whatever you want to. Like, like he's just like he's like ah I, okay I see like okay great like I'm gonna have one conversation with you but then I'm definitely dead but like 
there, there, there's no heavy intimidation. There's no anything. It's just like he starts coming down the stairs like, ah, all right, I have you right where you want, like right where I want you. And Rasputin's, you know, obviously in the shadows and then pops out. But like, I, I think that, that again, recognizable beats for any action movie and granted, I mean, like including Blade, like other, like same people worked on, there's a certain level of like, and then he gets out of it. Well, he's clever enough to like that. Yeah, you're like no, no, like he just he, he like, built an oh. escape hatch. Like so this, are, so this, this whole yeah. this whole headquarters already is this weird like labyrinth of doors and and ways out and you know cabinets and areas yes. and yeah, you're right. Since we are here, I will also say that um, I made note of man, I would have loved to just hang out in that visit the set groom's library it's so gorgeous like i I joked with molly while we were watching it that like i would love that there's a there's like this gorgeous golden statue of an angel slaying a demon yeah love that in my house i would yeah i just want to like that's one where it's like oh sitting there reading would be super cool so what's funny is that obviously this looks nothing like anything from the comics but if you it does look like something. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Del Toro's house. <laughs> oh, this really? is this is Bleak House for sure. Yeah, uh, like it's it's like essentially League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, correct? <laughs> so I think what you want to do is somehow. I mean, we all want to do this. We haven't figured it out, Ryan. If you can figure it out, it would be a great boon for probably the show, but also for um for 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 the two of us personally. If you could just make friends with Del Toro and like let us come to his house, I think. That would sure. be good. I'll see if I can reach out. Actually, we have a former guest who is our best shot at this because uh, Del Toro retweeted one of his articles once that was inspired by him being on this show. Uh, Ethan Warren's uh, wonderful article uh, for uh, about uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, which we asked him to do the show, and then he wrote this amazing article that was fantastic, and Del Doro loved it and retweeted it. So, actually, never mind, Ryan. We got an in. Former guest. If you're listening, Ethan. Pressure's off. Friends call yeah. him Del, but okay, that's fine. Yeah, I know you probably already sent the text, but... Yeah. Oh, okay, oh, okay, sorry. I just sent another one, NVM. <laughs> uh, I love the idea that he goes by Del, which I think you yeah. just introduced. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Sup, Del? Uh, you want to hang later? And that's an NVM. <laughs> oh, sorry. I actually, accidentally texted Benicio del Toro. Both are in my phone. <laughs> both, both go by Dell. Either way, dude, you're getting a Dell. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So you're getting a Dell. Thank you. So they they go off to Mother Russia uh, uh, now with Jeff. King. Now with Jeffrey Tambor leading the way, which Jeffrey Tambor sucks, but he's very funny in this movie. I mean, that's that's the that's always the Jeffrey Tambor thing. Like, I'm not interested in seeing new Jeffrey Tambor performances, but there's a reason why he was so good on the rest of the development season one. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the funniest parts of those first few seasons of Arrested Development in a pretty stacked cast, and he does minor parts here, but him being kind of a I mean, it works in two ways because he's both funny as like the the guy who like doesn't really want Hellboy to come, and he's just kind of an ineffectual now person who, as a senior leader with Trevor being gone, clearly has to go on this mission that he's not too psyched about. But you know, he's in the he's he's in the BPRD, he has to save the world. But I also love the uh, moment of bonding that he has with Hellboy coming up too. Uh, it's a it's a kind of a sweet moment for a character that usually isn't afforded that in these movies, right? Yeah, usually. 
You, yeah, the cigar moment. Yeah. He's usually the bureaucrat asshole. He gets his um, he gets his comeuppance. He falls um, down the bridge, right? Yes, yes. But instead, the movie's like, uh, well, we cast Jeffrey Tambor. And also, Tom Manning is like a big part of the series and is, like it or not, like he is a... He is a an important part of the ending of Hellboy Two, um, so uh, the, 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 just kinda, he kind of needs to be there, and it kind of adds a little bit of the the impact, the ending, the ending of Hellboy Two. So yeah, it was also, it was also kind of funny because like I I didn't have any kind of cigar smokers in my life, and obviously I was so two thousand four, I was fourteen when it first came out. I, I mean, like I probably held that. Uh, <laughs> with me as like a cigar fact in my head ingrained for more than a decade after we were like we're like well if you really care you want to use a match you want to use it wouldn't like like it doesn't I mean, i'm assuming it doesn't actually matter butane later whatever the hell also you're. tom manning's an idiot in this movie whatever so. you that's what i mean though it's like this <laughs> character is not like well he speaks the truth all the time he's not he is not the like beacon of like you know facts and it was funny where i would say for the longest time i was like like in my head did not come up often in conversation but in my head I was like we want to use a wood a wood match because yeah. oh, it's the better flavor the blah, blah, blah. Like, who the hell I, I don't I still to this day, I'm like I'm assuming I don't even know if that's I've never been a big cigar smoker either I have no idea it's a snob type and, thing and no I idea if that's true but I Ryan I, as I understand that's been a consistent problem for you because one of the first things I remember um, you saying to me was like Oh, yeah, one thing I've always remembered from movies is, like, I grow older, but high school girls stay the same age. And <laughs> yep. I think I think it is concerning how much of these movie quotes have kind of burrowed themselves into your being, but more specifically yeah. that one explicitly. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. I want Seinfeld McConaughey. Let's do a whole character. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. You get the big Bobka. Um, we don't have time for Seinfeld McConaughey but let's put let's put that away for when we are doing a shitty movie with nothing to talk about but I I like I like that moment because that was Del Toro being like it would betray the character to have these guys hug and be like I miss I miss Trevor too Um, instead they're bonding over a cigar and the moment of 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 vengeance and that wasn't even Hellboy's goal to come out here but he realized when he got out here he was like I did. I did kind of. I did kind of come out here to like avenge Trevor. I'm here yep. now. I'm gonna do this fucking thing. And like nobody cries, nobody hugs. It's just sort of like a little moment between these two characters that do not like each other. Yeah. Uh, and so, anyways, just to rewind like five minutes. So they get there. Um, <laughs> Cowboy shows this power where he can find out who can be resurrected from the dead to. T- to talk through as a guide using some some thing he has. Um, I guess it kind of works with the fact that he's from hell and finding souls that are in hell to bring him back. Um, I'm glad that's not a comic book part because it's kind of dumb. But it works as a uh, how do we find out where to go. 
But I think, uh, I think it's so rad in the movie, and that animatronic is insane. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I like so it. Fucking sick. To be clear, I like it in the movie. It was very much a oh, I forgot this was a thing. But I like it's funny, um, and it it works well. You're right. The animatronic on his back is amazing, and uh, yeah. So they lead him to the grave, and they get separated, and uh, that's when uh, they get to this bridge area, and Hellboy's like, "We have to go through." And Jeffrey Tambor's like, we got to go back, you dum-dum. And all of a sudden, this giant pendulum swings and takes out half the bridge. And um, Hellboy throws him. And then they end up back with uh, Kroner, uh, who's in this, like, this chamber doing mechanical shit. And they, that's where they have the fight. And they th- he throws Kroner into the, the spike pit with the help of Tambor. And then they meet back up with Liz and find basically the frog cave with all the babies that are going to get unleashed. And that's when, um, you know, uh, 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 John, why am I forgetting his last name all of a sudden? Meyer. Uh, Meyer. John Meyer. It's like, Liz, we got to get out of here. And Hellboy's like, you got to get out of here. <laughs> like, Liz will be fine. Uh, and and three feet this way and uh, hide behind just some small rocks. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Liz finally kind of uh, accepts her uh, BPRD role again and uses her power for the first time in the movie to take down all the frogs. But that leads to her getting kind of knocked out by the force and Rasputin kidnapping her to motivate Hellboy. Uh, and Hellboy is in chains in front of, and kind of reveals his plan, right? The uh, I don't know why I have so too much trouble with this word. It's a real problem for the podcast that we've chosen to do this month, but it's the <laughs> Ogdru Jihad? Yeah, Ogdru Jihad, yeah. Great, I got good, it. Man. Um, you should have gone in more confident. He, uh, he reveals that there's this, this set, uh, no, Ogdru Jihad. There we go. Now I got it. Um, he uh, reveals that, you know, he, he basically is working as a force through them to bring this seven-headed dragon that's, like, floating in this awesome stone above Earth to come crashing down and bathe the Earth in fire. And where Hellboy comes in is that his hand, the right hand of Doom, uh, his big, uh, bulky, big boy hand, um, is the key to uh, basically allowing their return to Earth. And so he initially says... Uh, no, no, no. And then uh, threatens, uh, Rasputin threatens Liz, and that obviously changes his mind for momentarily. And uh, I want to pause here a little bit because, so uh, to kind of flash forward, they come to Earth. They uh, or they start coming to Earth. Hellboy says, "Nah, gotcha." They they take him down, and then help uh, the the little bit of the. Uh, Agdru Jihad that's left uh, kind of uh, uh, reveals himself to be Can part we of Rasputin. here really quickly? Yeah, is yeah, it, yeah. Isn't an Agdru Jihad, you know, one of the dragons, or is it an Agdru Hem? Is it one of the children of the dragons? So, so the great question. This is what I actually did a little bit of research on before recording. So the yeah the Hem, the Agdru Hem is definitely what's inside Rasputin. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the Agdur Jihad is the, is the seven dragons, but in the movie, they're actually portrayed more as like tentacle Lovecraft monsters. And I gotta say, Peter, I'm not saying I would change this in the comic books because of everything they got going on, but 
God, I fucking loved that depiction of them breaking open and like the tentacles coming into Earth. And you had also seen, we passed over this, there's a great premonition scene of the tentacles raining down in a destroyed New York, uh, burning with fire with Hellboy with his full Swimming in the clouds. Yeah. So I, like, here's the thing. I don't know what it is. It's probably the Lovecraft stuff. If you have a fucking apocalypse world that is filled with tentacle monsters coming down from the sky, I am in every single time. I love that we've done, I think it's four months of Lovecraft content. Yeah. And and we were like, okay, we need to hold off Hellboy. Hellboy is very fucking Lovecraftian. Yeah. I mean, oh. it's not not in terms of plot, because, like, you know, these characters actually can, like, have an effect on the plot. But in terms of all the creatures and the various the various uh, mythologies surrounding them and w- w- what are these things in the sky, that's extremely Lovecraftian. And the fact that we were able to resist putting Hellboy out, like, I feel like we deserve a little pat on the back so we could do an entire summer on it. We ended up doing a secret summer of of, uh, of Lovecraft, as 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 uh, filtered through uh, Hellboy. Yeah, no, I mean obviously, I mean Lovecraft was Magnola wears that influence on his on his sleeve pretty pretty hard. I think the like opening quote of the of Seed of Destruction is a Lovecraftian reference, right? Or like is I forget if it's like yes. a quote that's there or like his first letter about looking back on like he just wanted to make a Lovecraft thing. And this was his kind of interpretation. So from very early on, but I I love the tentacle. Like, again, in, in the comic book, they're just giant dragon lizards, which is great. Works there. Fine. Um, love dragons, but, love lizards. Do your thing. But it's the it's the it's the one of the reasons I love the visual so much in Bloodborne, right? After you kill the spider, like you go back to the cathedral and there's these giant monsters with tentacles raining down from the sky on these like churches and like it's such an evocative image that just just gets me right in my like oh this is terrifying. <laughs> Like the image of tentacles coming down from the sky, not just one, just like spread out everywhere is so good. And I love that moment where it breaks open and that starts happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a gorgeous moment. It's also, it's why people are so disappointed. There's no Hellboy three. Yeah. Because people wanted to see the completion of the cycle, which, Yes, I would love to have, have seen it in 2007 or 2008, like, you know, right after. Um, however, um, <laughs> like, it would have required two or three more movies to make that shit work, right? Like, well, it depends on what he's going for, because obviously it's not a direct at it. Like, this has some good plot points from seed of destruction but even then like now having i guess so much of that i mean they probably would have done something that looked closer to hellboy the end of the actual hellboy series because the bprd stuff actual ending came out like in 2017 2018 so you know you're you're definitely not like doing that which is more the loop closing on this stuff comics wise but i would i mean i would have loved to see where he was uh, obviously, I would. I would. St- I still think they could make a Hellboy three, and it would be fine. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I, I'm not denying that fact. I think Del Toro was actually better positioned to do an epic 
um, horror tale right now than he's yeah. ever been in his entire career. Um, I'm just not saying Ron Perlman is, and I, I don't know if people actually want a now what is it 13 year delayed sequel. Yeah, I don't know how well it would do, but I would. I understand all of us would be, but it'd be like I'd be on board, and it's weird that uh, Guillermo del Toro, like somebody who I think all of us have watched a ton of stuff and whatever, seems to just constantly be honing. So like, I like I love I like the first Hellboy. Even revisiting, it's still mostly great. Like even if I want to be nitpicky, I know the second one somehow is a step up again, even after the first one wasn't necessarily, you know, any kind of box office smash. You're like, and then I could see it do it once more where it's like, I could see it step up again and still not be like, again, like you said, however many years later, it's not a huge audience. All of these things, especially after 2019 didn't do too well. I'm sure that'll leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth regardless. But, but it's one of those where I'm like, I would hope that, if they wanted to, they could get a chance to, because that could be pretty cool. I feel like yeah. they would do, unless there's something worth doing, they wouldn't. So, like, that would be interesting, least. Yeah, well, I think we'll talk about that. I think there is some bad blood between Del Toro and Mignola at this point, but... I, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I think at a certain point... Um, I'm dumb to all of this. So like, I'm not... That, even, like, what we were watching on the DVD extras was the most I know of them interacting. That was back in 2004, 2005. I think at a certain point... It's great. They're high-fiving constantly like, yeah, 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 let's go. I think at a certain point they had a little bit of a breakup um, and, you know, like, it's understandable. Like, Del Toro drove this series forward. He inspired Magnolia to um, take the series in new directions. He out certain characters or at least Oh, story yeah. arcs or even just like pockets that were not even in his sight by the like by the uh, brief commentary it was just like you weren't even looking that direction and he would be like why don't look over there and he's like oh I could just build out the BPRD I could build out like these yeah, things yeah 100% uh, he, he basically highlighted blind spots for him and then he was like oh I'm gonna make a I'm going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of these blind spots. Um, and, um, you know, it, it eventually became like a, a business relationship over just like two nerds trying to see if they could pull this one off on Hollywood. And it's fairly insane that they were able to get those two movies out. It's even more insane that that 2019 movie even exists. Uh-huh. Yeah, like if you if you're ready to bring it back, it makes no. And and Del Toro's been like, I will do it, and it comes after his Oscar win. <laughs> like I'm, if I'm there's really ever a shocked. chance for it's crazy that Del Toro has not released a movie. Um, I know he's always got stuff working, but like the idea that someone didn't go after that, go yeah, go make at, at the Mountains of Madness, go make Hellboy three whatever dude and like no one is still doing that to him is yeah just i'm hoping i'm hoping he has a bunch of irons in the fire right now use those troll use that troll hunter money (laughs) you're producing troll hunter it's got like 11 seasons on netflix you know how hard it is to get 11 seasons of a netflix animated show so difficult (laughs) He somehow produced 11 seasons in four years. I don't know how he did it. There's, 
Um, if you had kids, you would know how fucking funny that joke is because uh, <laughs> I did like there was like it was like there's the one the one person with kids where they're, uh, there's eleven yeah. seasons of an anime. You know, hardest. I'm like, like I don't, but I you have yeah, yeah you have no yeah. you have no idea. Like it is yeah. insane. There is there is. I remember there was like a troll show, and then like six months later, I saw something like season seven coming soon. Like what the fuck? Like why is the how are they doing this? Um, yeah, and, and, it, and it is wild. It's wild to me that like studios still try and uh, do cash-ins on Del Toro, Del Toro stuff, but for some particular reason, they cannot just give him the fucking money to complete the series. Like he's yeah, he spent too much time on Pacific, the screen. There's a Pacific Rim series now. There's a sequel to the original movie. There's a Netflix anime show that is getting pretty interesting reviews. Like, interesting in a good way. Like, people seem to say, like, it's, it's got, like, it, like almost like Gundam vibes. Like, it's very apocalyptic and, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, Del Toro's moved on to his, his all of his other work. He's moved on. Yeah. He's got other he's got other uh, irons in the fire he's got he's got to focus on and like his his uh, technique is I'm going to announce all these projects that I have a fully written script for and see if people bid on my shit and for some reason very few of those get like yeah <laughs> for some reason very few of those actually get a bidding war and I I I, I would suggest he get a new agent but also like. We got Shape of Water. We got Crimson Peak. Like, we've gotten a lot of great movies in the past few years. And it's amazing also, like, Ryan pointed this out when we were watching it together. Cavendish Hall is basically Crimson Peak. It is a yeah. it is a castle sinking into the, the loam of the earth. And, like, it's almost like, it's, it's, it's almost like he took little pieces of the Hellboy series and chucked them into the future. And, and Crimson Peak, the idea of this Victorian mansion with these doomed family bloodlines going, going into the earth. And the idea that the family is dying and the literal house itself is dying. And yet, in this movie, somehow... Somehow, Del Toro is still like, but the New York subway system. <laughs> that guy, yeah. It's, it, we've seen, because yeah. Blade 2 had the subway sequence, or the underground sequence. It's, it's so funny this, how much he's like, I want to do the like, sewer subway stuff, and I have to do it right. Yeah, Mimic and this both are like the sewer subway thing. Blade 2. And you yeah. put so much, so much money and thought into this thing and there was yeah. a there was like a, a trivia piece where like del toro was like i wanted to diversify myself a little bit i didn't want it to look like i was in in subways the whole time and i'm like buddy all the fights against the frogs are in actual subways <laughs> yeah. the hounds like what? <laughs> you didn't do a good job there and they're great he's like he's like the wrong. you know the joke in uh what is it the muse where um Sharon Stone's character tells James Cameron to stay out of the water for a while. Uh, uh, that's is that too specific of a poll? Albert Brooks, the muse. <laughs> no, it's perfect. No, it's uh, perfect. but uh, I, I like it. Yeah, but that's so. I guess Sharon Stone's character needed to tell Del Toro stay out of the subway. Just overground, subway. overground. Yeah. You want to be overground. Yeah, you want to make um, the big bunk, the big bucks, just like you did with Crimson Peak. 
Apparently, like, I saw the Muse in theaters, but and, and I don't remember anything about it. The only thing I remember really well is that part. And then James Cameron just walks away going, stay on dry land. Stay on dry land. Stay on dry land. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we know that history showed that he would not. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so the ending of this movie rules. So there's the, then, yeah, the Rasputin reveals himself to be a... Uh, Audrew Hem potentially, um, and he immediately morphs into this giant Lovecraftian beast that Hellboy takes down as everything collapses and everyone escapes. Um, and then there's the the nice, you know, just kind of quick, like, hey, the the team's back together ending. Uh, I love that there's a post credit sequence. There is that people forget. I did not know this existed because for like. I just now have the habit uh, – Marvel movies have probably made me a better movie watcher, but I have the habit of sticking around for credits on the assumption that so many movies, non-Marvel movies too, like to throw other things in. So I was actually surprised when something came up. Yeah. And I loved that the joke is that they left Jeffrey Tambor in Russia. That's a, that's a good joke. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's also – it's a good bit because like when they do leave him in that little room, you're like <laughs> – Please don't have an action sequence where he gets murdered here. That would be incredibly yeah. stupid. Um, but instead, they're like, oh, this is setting up a bit for later. And, like, I understand that, like, Marvel movies were inspired by lots of things. But it's very funny that, like, if this were a Marvel movie, there would be 9,000 listicles about, like, isn't it amazing that they left a little joke for us at the end? Because we were all thinking, where's Jeffrey Tambor? Where's Tom Manning? Everyone's thinking that. Like, and clearly they're doing that to introduce so-and-so character from that uh, area. Like that kind of stuff. And I'm sure also, like, I watched this movie a bunch of times and, like, either, like, moved on to a different movie before the credits had fully finished or whatever. And, uh, yeah, like, it, 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 it's cute. It's a nice little moment. It's funny. Good joke. Yeah. We can move on. Uh, yeah, so I think we're at, like, final thoughts or quick scenes, because we're yeah, three hours we're into this, guys, and I'm ready for bed. I'm ready for to be bed boy. What do you guys have? Um, the While we're talking about Lovecraftian shit, the fact that Rasputin has no eyes and he has fake eyes and yet he has, you know, perfect vision... Is something that like I is that is that is clearly like a cultist, particularly a cosmic horror cultist deal. Um, but it's such a cool, creepy detail that Rasputin's eyes are fake. Um, uh, late to add like late in the movie, uh, and it's something that like Magnola would pull from specifically in later issues that like certain characters just do not have eyes. <laughs> Yeah, it can see perfectly fine. Because, yeah, it's a bloodborne um, thing, right? Where and it also is like you know, it's a it's a it's a Lovecraft thing that pushes yeah. forward. Um, it's it's a, you know, it's even uh, present in Event Horizon. Um, yeah, we're famously, <laughs> where uh, famously he says where we're going. They have great LASIK, so don't worry. <laughs> you forgot your glasses at home. Famous. It's great LASIK. Don't worry if you forgot your literal eye, entire eyeballs at home. No. Great LASIK. Nazis love circular sunglasses. Through oh, and through. The scientists, fan. the assassins, all of them love that. I will say I did like not to... Uh, like we're talking about, we didn't want to compare comics to movie the entire time, that kind of stuff. But I did think it was interesting that 
in the comic it was Rasputin's character saying, you know, uh, oh, I've, when they were uh, birthing, bringing Hellboy uh, upon the Earth, it was like him being like, no, you know, things are going as planned, that kind of stuff. But in the movie, what, oh, sorry, in, in the comics, Rasputin saying that it seems like a um, a unstoppable force that he has brought on like the 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 master plan is already complete from page one um and in the movie it's a soldier says something where you you know the they start blowing up the portal all this stuff and the soldier says it's almost over and broom says no it's not very confidently and yeah clearly saying i think it's interesting where in the comics it seems like it's a foreboding uh or uh it's more of a confidence in the plan or a complete and in the movie it's more of a foreboding thing like the battle has just begun against this massive thing that has started um which i liked uh yeah let's see there was one other little thing that i remember wanting to talk there was something where i i pointed out while we were watching it but i still don't know if it's actually something it might be a little easter egg it might not be there is a particular author who i like that helps with the series that I I read a spinoff called Rumble and he's like the main writer but at one point Hellboy's in front of a dumpster and he's got f- like four C-U-D-T-Y and the author it's Arcuddy but I think that that's a nod I'm not sure it was more of just like a, I thought it was interesting um, and I kind of hope that it was more than I'm not sure if it actually was um I think it's a reference to a 12-year-old Kid Cuddy. Yeah, there you go. I'm also (laughs) kind of curious if, like, balding, as silly as it sounds, I don't know what kind of theme was, but between Hellboy, the plugs jokes, you had uh, Tambor's character in Rasputin, there seemed to be, like, actively... And granted, if you look, when then when I started noticing it, a lot of the agents have either receding or pretty, uh, you know, balding hairline, stuff like that. I wasn't sure if that was just a casting choice a del toro choice to humanize and ground everything or whatever but like i i honestly have no idea what they could possibly be saying but it was a weird thing where you're like oh like balding seems to be part of it or or to make hellboy see feel normal about the fact that he doesn't like that kind of stuff yeah people people trying to push off the fact that they're beyond their youth is kind of an interesting horror theme though like um people people being um in- incapable of dealing with uh, going into the future, where you know, you know like your virility has has diminished, is is, is kind of interesting. Um, and, and like Rasputin, largely let go of his body. Yeah, um, I could see there being something there. And then, and then the final thing was like I kind of mentioned the very when we first started talking was there there was an interesting red versus blue. Uh, just color scheme, and I think it was beyond just the idea of having a, a colorful and grand. I know Hellboy's bright red, so that's part of it. But 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 you have Liz, and she's got fire. That's easy to make it red, but instead it's blue. And I think that that's part of saying like she's dangerous and powerful and all these things. But then also the final monster is blue hue and blue blood and all these yeah. things that I think are naturally usually you gear it towards a red because you know red is bad and evil. So I thought that that was just kind of curious because I think that's part of constantly fighting the idea of, you know, Hellboy is destined for evil and uh, and bringing upon the the apocalypse. But then it's like these blue villains and also friends because you've got Abe and stuff like that. But it is kind of interesting. And then the final note I have is I thought it was interesting that when they touch on the dragon 
the Cthulhu monster, whatever you want to. The first time they do, and it bumps into the eyeball, it's in this crystallized, this big, heavy, crystallized, floating in space thing. And I did think that when they were walking through the caves, I thought that was interesting that they were surrounded by a lot of harder, crystallized-looking stuff, but they don't... It's not prevalent enough where it's super in your face like they seem to just kind of like oh watch out for that that kind of like oh we're just walking around it's like holding the past where it is and it seems very intrinsically linked whether or not like obviously it makes sense because that's where they're summoning it but they it's not anything that they point out to it's not like oh whoa look at these oh these things are yeah. reminiscent of whatever you're like no it's just it, it all makes sense where you're like this is a part it's, it's something from the past like you said it's it's it, it all is linked which i think is kind of very cool it's, it's holding in an ancient history it's are, holding in an ancient there past. are tiny details that they don't take a highlighter to which is part of the reason why i'm like this movie's worth seeing it's like well and that's that's also such a del toro touch right like he yes. puts so much thought into the way that these movies look that you end up with all these great visual flourishes that have like um plot significance or theme significance if you drill down but yeah it's not like you have a character go this looks just like this guy's place <laughs> yes. something, or something like that yeah the only other thing i was going to mention is that i mentioned that you know uh rasputin shoots a fucking laser uh to let in uh, a portal to let the lovecrafting monster i uh m- didn't mention that he shoots it through the moon which rules that's such a good oh, yeah sequence. just yeah that adds to the epicness that the moon is just this. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's 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 a, a crucial part of the eclipse of the moon turning into this blood moon is like a crucial part of the deal, or yeah. if it's just like an incidental thing. Like, well, no, maybe it's I'm just another. It just reminded me of Bloodborne, which I now uh, you know equate with perfect Lovecraftian imagery. So maybe I just want to play Bloodborne again. But the idea yeah. of a blood moon is pretty perfect because our moon is such a a husk and it's yeah. such a skeleton and it, there's no life on on our moon. There's no like it's just this big blank skull. And the idea of casting um, life into that death is uh, pretty interesting. I just like the idea yeah. it's incidental. Like I mean, like it happens and nobody's like. Oh, like, oh man, the moon! Right? Like they're just like there are more important things. Like there are more important. There, there are more important things. Going I'm on my like, own. Just like I don't know what's going on up there, but like uh, we got we got to figure this out here first. I'm on my own schedule. The moon happens to be in the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, I guess my my final thoughts overall of the movie is uh, that it's good. Um, I you know it. I I think that if this was kind of a one and done if he didn't get a chance to make a sequel i think that this this i don't know what we would be saying about this movie it is it is one of those things where it, it like a lot of superhero movies even though this is very different than those it's you know everyone loves spider-man 2 better than spider-man a lot of people love the dark knight more than batman begins um you know, uh, setting up a comic book world just takes a lot of work in general, and especially something as unique as Hellboy. So there is a lot of like we do have to set up a lot of pieces, and then in the sequel we get to have a little more fun. That's true of all comic book movies. It's it's true of Hellboy too, but I still you know I think this movie hits a lot of really um, good grand slams as uh, Hitler wanted so much. Um, then, but. But, um, you know, it, it, I think combined with what we're going to talk about here in a couple weeks, it really leads to this thing as this like unique 
wonderful both comic book movie world that we got some uh, a couple of great movies out of but also a really fun adaptation and um of uh, a comic book that you know i don't know the sales figures i didn't look this up but i imagine that the reason why magnola was able to go and create you know dozens upon dozens of books that uh in the hellboy universe um you know, you, uh, Peter, you kind of joke that he was like rolling in, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars from all the different com- from each comic book he releases. And I was going to make a joke that like and then like five to ten thousand dollars for Lobster Johnson comics. But like the, <laughs> the uh, and I like I like Lobster Johnson, but it, it's kind of it, like it, the idea that I, I, I honestly believe that like um the the reason that he's able to do like Lobster Johnson and Edward Gray and all these other things is probably because like I imagine there was a big influx to the Hellboy comics from people know I had never heard of Hellboy prior to prior to this movie and I would imagine that's true of most people um, besides hardcore like comic book nerds in two thousand four and so uh, yeah I. It's it's a great movie. It sets up an even better sequel, and then it also kind of uh, brought a lot of life into this universe that Magnola worked to you know had had worked on for twenty five years. That we're going to talk about in way more detail next week. There is a sort of uh, feeder loop um, between the two artists. They can't help but inject themselves into it. They both had these gothic interests. They both were very much interested in, like, this Victorian era darkness. Del Toro was more of a romantic. He's a sweetie. Yeah. He's interested in, like, the, the, the touchy-feely stuff. He's, he's interested in uh, a lady fucking the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's, this, you know... He's, he seems always drawn towards the fairy tale aspect versus yes. the folklore aspect or whatever. Yeah. Yes, he, he's he's uh, he he's on a, like a slightly elevated plane. He wants I the think. Beauty and the Beast, not the handsome Gretel. I mean, like I, I like that. I know that he likes both, but you're like that. He likes the romance is not the right word, but like he likes that beauty. romantic. Okay, he likes that romantic. The, the idea of longing. He doesn't want Hansel and Gretel to fuck. He yeah. wants to fuck fish people pretty much throughout his. I mean, we can all agree on that at least. Yeah. And oh, we agree. It, in the comics, when Liz and Hellboy meet, she is a child, and he is an adult, and he has no machinations on her for the entire plot of the story. And Liz is not his love, but Del Toro is like, but he's such a lonely person. I need to give him somebody, somebody to love. Del Toro has been just trying to launder these sort of gothic <laughs> yeah. sensibilities in a way that, like, Tim Burton can do more nakedly. Del Toro sometimes, like, you know, he puts out a Crimson Peak and a bunch of people slap him on the wrist. Like, sometimes when he's he tries to do it nakedly, people do not like it. Even the New York subways have a bit of romance to them. There's a line that Abe says, If there's trouble, all us freaks have is each other. Del Toro, as, like, a nerdy, chubby guy, like, really deeply understood that. We as freaks build these, like, little communities. It's not just that these are strange little monsters that are off hiding in the shadows. Um, It's that when you're in the shadows, you tend to find company. 
it ended up getting me attached to the series is because like I started building these romantic ideas for Mignola and I think Mignola started getting infected with these romantic ideas because he started making them a bigger part of the series. Mignola and Del Toro both understand a key aspect that we're going to talk about a lot next week, which is style is substance. That like how you portray your thoughts, how you portray your ideas that is as important as the idea itself. The slight tweaks that Del Toro made to Magnolia's formula is how these movies tick. Del Toro took a bit of Magnolia into him, and Magnolia took a bit of Del Toro into him. And they pushed forward kind of together, even when they went off in separate directions. So, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about Hellboy 2 next week, um, as well as uh, when we get to the sort of a series run when we talk about the Hellboy series as a, as a whole dealy. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, but more specific, I feel like I'm joining you two. Um, so thank me for joining you two. On thanks your... for joining us tonight. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. I feel, I feel happy to be included in some way. Even yeah. if it's not in the majority of the ways. Uh, next week, so Peter and I <laughs> probably shouldn't discuss this on air. We're, we initially planned to have the animated episodes and the uh, comic books uh, be a double episode. I think we'll probably record it that way. I think it probably makes sense just to release them separately as people want to listen to them because I think the comic book one is going to be longer than the animated movie one. But theoretically, both of those, either in two parts or in one part, will be coming at you next week. Then uh, we're doing Blade Trinity uh, to, to really stop the fun for yeah, a little bit. No, this is this is the way I prefer it. You like to I like to get the bad parts over with. Well, I got some terrible news for you. We're not going to be getting the bad parts over with because then we're going to do Hellboy Two, which is maybe the best part. Um, and then we're going to do the Blade animated series and Hellboy from twenty nineteen to wrap up. Um, can I show what happens when the the franchises leave the the comforting arms of the the Del Toro and Mignola pair. Although we're also going to show that with Blade Trinity. So a lot of that. Uh, maybe we drop the Blade animated series and then do the animated movies and the comic books uh, and make that our nine weeks. Um, but we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll, I, I did buy the, the Blade animated series. So maybe we'll watch an episode and comment on it. <laughs> yeah, we'll just uh, we'll have a nice 20 minute episode. Here we go. Huh? Well, that was a piece of media that I experienced. Maybe we don't need to make an entire episode. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we do the Blade animated and the Hellboy animated as its own thing just to talk about those. A lot of ideas coming up now. This is June. You're going to hear this stuff in August. By the time you get episodes, you'll you'll have, you'll have know what we ended up deciding uh, after changing our mind at one in the morning um, <laughs> on a random night in June. But otherwise... I can promise you'll get more Hellboy and Blade next week, regardless of what form it takes. Uh, so, otherwise, I guess, I don't know. Good night, and may all of your Grand Slams be Hitler-free. <laughs> Good night, and go to hell. That's how you guys always sign off, right? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches Peter and Aaron. <laughs>